Good morning, everyone. It's Dr. P, and welcome to the Daily Inspirational Podcast. I'm very excited about today's show. We have Joe DiStefano with us today. He is a major influencer on social media, especially on Instagram. He's a wellness coach, a fitness expert, and a TED Talk speaker. Man, this guy is the bomb. He's out of LA, and I was very fortunate to have him come and meet with me at my home studio so we could produce this recording. Today is going to be mostly about stress and about how stress affects our lives and our physical health. It's a good conversation, and I think you guys are going to love it. Also, don't forget to check out Joe's podcast. It's called The Stacked Podcast, and you can find that on uh, Apple iTunes. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Many people have already heard it on Joe's podcast out in LA as I gave him permission to post it out there, and it was a great positive feedback. So anyway, without further ado, I want to open up the conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. So listen, um, here I am with my good buddy, Joe, and uh, we just uh, thought we'd have a little conversation about stress. Yeah. Stress is a... The good, the bad, and the ugly. It's a sucker if you don't know how to handle it. So, so Joe, you came in from LA. Yeah. It's awesome to see you again. Uh, for those of you who don't know Mr. Joe, he is the founder of Runga Life, and he's the man. <laughs> <laughs> Long time ago. How long has it been since oh, we've known each other? Oh my gosh. I mean, I think I first, I think I first went to you about 10 years ago. Um, 2009, I started to have some issues after head injury and some concussion stuff. And I was kind of in a, in a little bit of a grim place, actually. I wasn't feeling very good and I was worried about kind of where I was going and um, where my health was headed just because I was, again, having some neurological stuff and needed some care and yeah it worked thankful. out i'm grateful i walked into your office that day yeah you know what you were a young kid with a lot of ideas yeah and you know <laughs> and when i think back about those days when we first met each other and the time we spent together you had this um uh this amazing aura and i you know 10 years later here we are we're we're progressing both of us moving into yeah. new directions and we want to share with people Right. what we've learned to help other people to just connect and, you know, and find their way through back to the light. Right. Cause I, I know that, uh, you know, you and I had a conversation off, uh, off the podcast today about the joy that we're getting by helping people through our experiences and what we've learned. And, you know, I thought today would be kind of cool to talk a little bit about stress. See, and this is the daily inspirational podcast. Let's right. try to inspire some people to get over some of the most heavy weights of their lives, which is basically stress. So, you know, I, I want to ask you, like, what the hell is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and you know what's so funny, Doc, is thinking back to those days, it was, so when we met and I look back, I had a head injury, right? And I had some symptoms associated with that. But really what I was living every day in was the stress I created around the thing. So there was the head injury and there there was the fact that I had to rebuild from this place. But what was really deteriorating my health was the thoughts about the thing. Right. And and was the internalization of but by the time I'm 30 I'm going to be 
a Parkinson's patient Mm. by I'm not going to be able to play sports anymore. I'm going to be the guy that's like messed up that everyone wonders what's wrong with him. I'm going to be. So there's all the thoughts about the thing instead of, yo, you got to fix the thing. Right. And I think, you know, if I define stress, it's it's that it's that inner anxiety. It's that fear. It's that worry. It's that it's that chemical, that hormonal cascade that happens inside of us as the result of our thoughts. Yeah, I like that. You know, Joe, I like the way you said that, because there are events that take place that evoke in initial emotions that, you know, right. whether it's pain, it's, it's anxiety and they're valid because everybody should be valid in the way they feel. Right. I always ask people, how long do you want to feel that way? You know, for me, not to say, well, that's silly that you feel that way and that you're creating all this stress. I go, no, hold on, man. Right. How long do you want to feel that way? Because we actually do have choice. Right. If we want to choose to be happy, we can, but, you know, it kind of reminds me of, of our lives to, and what we've already achieved is that there's a lot of obstacles when mm-hmm. you grow within something you love and, and you cherish as much as inspirational speaking and teaching people. But right. man, a chef, it's just so much stuff that you have to, to get through. And what do you do? You just start. Right. You just begin and you put one brick on the wall and you keep putting another brick on the wall. And, you know, isn't it funny when you walked into the studio, you know, I I built the studio for you listeners, you know, (laughs) and uh, it was a, it was a crap show in here and we made it happen. And here we are, we're sitting in it now. This dream is becoming a reality, but it really came one step at a time. Right. And was there stress involved? Yeah, of course there was, but I had to learn to get past it and not do what you just said, which was put too much meaning to things that really didn't deserve it in the first place. Right. Instead of wondering why someone else is getting something that I'm not, how about figure out what can I do today that would help me to get what I want? Right. I always thought that it's the question that you ask is really really important. If you ask a question like, how can I, rather than why, right? Why will tell you because you're lazy and you don't work hard enough. Right. How is buckle down, study every night and work your butt off. Right. It's their questions. And we ask questions every day. Question is, which question are you asking? (laughs) You better (laughs) ask the right one. You're not going to formulate the right response. Right. Right. A hundred percent. And I think that, you know, where you put your attention is where you put your energy. And I think this is the, the, I think this is some of the teachings of some other docs and people that teach this, but it's when we think about something or we worry about something, it's you're dumping all your energy that you could be putting into something constructive, into fear, into worry, into, but what if I build out the podcast room and, and no one listens, right? Well, if that stops you from building, then, you know, you're already done. You're not going to find out if that's going to happen. That's true. And so we, we kind of create these storylines and often those, those storylines create more obstacles for us than we would otherwise even have to face. Right. Right. And so, yeah, here we are. You know, from the, here's a a little doctor twist on stress for our listeners. Stress is created by the mind. You can't buy it on Amazon. You can't go find a, you know, somewhere outside where you find stress. Matter of fact, where's the best place to reboot yourself is outside, right? Right. Get outside where, where, you know, humans come from, if you will. But when I look at stress today, I go, okay, so you manufactured it in your mind based on the conditioning of your life. Some people would say, oh, that's terrible. It's going to snow today. 
Right. Yeah, but when I was seven, a snow day was awesome. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? I said, what are you yeah. talking about? Yeah. Then you become an adult and you begin to shift the whole meaning of what it what it is. And I'm like, right. so in other words, I created stress? Yes, you can't manufacture it. Right. And in one situation or a situation, we'll say a set of circumstances and you got five people observing the circumstance that's in front of us. Some of those people would be like, wow, well, that's cool. Right. Let's, let's try to fix that. And other right. people will say, oh, why bother? Right. It could never be, this is what it is. My life is crap and that's the way it goes. Right. Go, why is it that way? Right. Because that's what you've learned. And either right. you learned it from somebody else who taught it to you, right. or you learned it through your own experiences through life right. and you put it into your brain and that becomes your go-to response every time crap hits the fan. You're right. immediately turned into Debbie Downer. Right. I'm like, what would happen if you did that your whole life? Well, what happens when your brain secretes a, a chemical do that deals with stress? Right. It starts to make your body sick. Right. You know, so I want to talk a little bit about that chemical. And I think yeah. people know that chemical, which yeah. is cortisol. Cortisol. Yeah. Exactly. Cortisol is a son of a gun, but we need it. Right. You know, it's interesting. We ask people, like I ask people, so let me, let me ask you this. What do you think about cholesterol? Right. And give me a, a, a yes, a good or a bad. And they go, well, there's both. I go, yeah. well, not really. <laughs> Unfortunately, there isn't good and bad. There is right. just what it does. Right. But, so tell me, is it good or bad to have a cholesterol problem? Well, they don't know. So, you know, you look at, um, you know, at cortisol and you go, what happens if you release a lot of it quickly because right. you're being chased by a perpetrator or some somebody right. who wants to hurt you in a parking right. garage? It's a performance enhancing uh, chemical. I mean, before a, before a race, before a contest with some of the athletes I've worked with, you know, cortisol can be great. It's going to help you run from the line even faster. Exactly. So in that context, you know, we start every day with a, with a rise in cortisol. That's what gets us up in the morning. Right. Uh, and I think you hit the nail on the head, doc is like, nothing's good or bad. You know, things, things we don't eat enough of are good. Things we eat too much of become bad. Right. So fish oil is good and sugar's bad. <laughs> well, right. that's because you eat too much sugar and you don't get enough fish oil. Right. Balance but, it. If right. you can possibly balance it, of course. Right. right. You know, but I think that the interesting thing is like cortisol itself, it, it really is a good thing. Right. I mean, our bodies would not have it right. if it was meant to destroy us. Right. So what we do is we get under a stressful event or a bunch of scenarios that make us feel unsteady. Mm -hmm. And that's happening outside of us usually. Right. Yeah. We have like this internal system that protects us, our immune system. Mm -hmm. Then on the outside, we have this other threat system. Like, right. will I get to work on time? Will this red light, will, it, will the yellow light become red before I get there? You know, <laughs> why is this dude switching lanes without his blinker on? You know, right. These are all exterior threats that really, you know, are they really threats? Well, our brain perceives them as threats because we say to perceive it that way. Right. So now you have two major systems that keep you steady in life. You've right. got your internal immune system to protect you from viruses and bacteria and parasites right. and things like that. Yeah. Then you have the outside or your cortisol system, which protects you from anything that's going to try to muck up your life from the outside. Mm. So where do you think we put the majority of our attention? It's on the world around the, us. The vigilance. And who built that world? We did. Bingo. <laughs> if you built it and right. it isn't good, are you capable of rebuilding it? Mm -hmm. Sure. Think about cold and flu season. Mm -hmm. I live in, obviously, here in the North United States. So what happens during cold and flu season? When is it? It's December, January, February, right? Mm -hmm. It's cold. It's 
dark and it's inclement weather. And if you don't like any of those, then you're going to be sick as a consequence of thinking about it and dealing with it every day, which jacks up the amount of cortisol stress hormone that you right. put into your blood all day long. And what does that hormone do? It inhibits your immune system mm. and takes your internal dynamic system and makes it weak. Right. And then when do you get sick? Come right. on. I mean, Joe, how many people get sick in July when you live in the Boston area compared to how many people get sick in January? Right. You right. know, it's like, what? Right. So what would be a good strategy? Maybe go get yourself a winter hobby or <laughs> take a trip to the Bahamas. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of things we can do, but I think identifying is, is a, is a great place to start. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of understanding these loops we put ourselves in and, and, and that we can become our own worst enemy. Yeah. I think that's really the key. We are our own worst enemy. The immune system connection is is super interesting to me. Yeah. And um, you know, there's a book, Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. Right. And I know it well. you know, Robert goes deeper into that stuff than, you know, most people care to read, but that's yeah. a great book. Yeah. And I, I think he that's where I was first exposed to this idea of that, you know, the cortisol system, that stress response, that that vigilance, that protector, uh actually chipping away at the immune system one cell at a time and and really kind of reducing your ability to fight infection because when you're running from that lion you don't care if you get a flu in two months. You're hoping you're here in two months. Yeah, you got to survive the, the event. <laughs> so, right? You don't ovulate when you're being chased by a lion, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So you allocate the resources that you would otherwise be detoxifying your systems with or, or improving your health. So can I, can I line. ask you this? Do you think that people just get pooped out and tired when they're stressed? Mm -hmm. They don't have any internal energy left because right. they did it all what? They used it all? You dissipate it. Exactly. Because Worry. of the stress you're under. Worrying. And how much worry actually comes to fruition? <sighs> do you remember the? Do you, um, do you remember Earl Nightingale, one of the old? You gave speakers? me a whole bunch of his stuff back in the day. <laughs> Lead the field or something? Oh my I think it was lord! Yeah. It was wonderful. I love I love listening to him. He, he's an amazing man, and uh, you guys should. Check him out, by the way. He's a, he's an old timer, but he's fantastic. He's gone. But Dr. P had me give me his, he, you made me give me, you took my laptop at, during a work, during a session, right? So, and while we were doing our thing, you had set my computer up. So when I got home, my whole desktop was just Earl Nightingale. Right. <laughs> and it was, and it was yeah. Earl Nightingale yeah. that said that he had read a study that showed that 93% of the things that you stress over never happen. Right. And, and you know, they, they're never in the moment. Right. So, you know, it, it's so funny to me and maybe this is cause I like to play crap sometimes, not that I do very often, but worry is like, it's like placing a bet against yourself. Right. Right. <laughs> you're like, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, at the craps table, it's like, you're not going to put the bet on the pass line. You're going to do, don't pass. I'm going to bet against myself. Yeah. That That's makes sense. worry. Yeah. And when you think about worry and stress in that light. It's like, oh man, that would be a pretty dumb thing to do. I get enough people rooting against me to root against myself. Right. You got no chance if you're you no already chance. leg down because you're betting against yourself crazy. Right. <clears throat> that immune system though, it's funny because it's an infection fighter, obviously. Right. But it's an inflammation producer and it does so many more things that people just don't know. You can't afford to dysregulate your immune system. Right. So by putting abnormal, I say abnormal, putting your own personal twist on a mm -hmm. circumstance, it better be a good twist because the brain will then create it into a fixed action pattern of thinking this way constantly. Right. I like to think of it this way. Like your brain has a hierarchy of what it wants to pay attention to. Right. Imagine like a um, an air traffic controller. 
if you've ever seen them at work, they have like little blocks with numbers of flights on it. And mm. they have five of them. And they're moving them around in priority. So they go, okay, we now have flight uh, 105 from Miami coming to Boston and he's in our area. So now he moves up on the priority list. Mm. So we are always constantly changing what is in our priority list. So we must prioritize the right emotional things in our head and the way we see things. Because if it's number one and you're angry today, you wake up pissed yeah. and you know you got to work next to Mary Stinkbones who's flatulating next to you at work. You're like... <laughs> I can't believe I have to do this. And then you colorize it because don't humans tell stories over and over and over? Yeah. And then it gets funnier every year, doesn't it? If you yeah. have a family for crying out loud and a fire pit out back, all you do is talk about the funny things that so-and-so did. Yeah. You re keep telling the story. So what you do is you colorize the story. Right. So the more times that you colorize the story, the more it takes precedence, the more it moves up in the priority list. Mm. And now that brain runs that pattern constantly and it's on all the time. We must be careful about what we give priority to our brain. And the easiest place to get priority is turn on Good Morning America and get your butt whipped by garbage coming over the airwaves to right. weaken the crap out of you, right. to get your brain thinking negative thoughts. Right. What a bummer. I mean, when you meet somebody who's just like a Debbie Downer, they're the pessimist. Right. And it was, I think it was a Mayo, Mayo Clinic did a study that said the pessimist dies seven years before the optimist. Right. I'm like, why is that? Right. Because that brain releases chemistry, which is imprinting itself on the physical body. I mean, how many people have you seen? I, I know Joe did a, you did a TED talk, yeah, which was pretty impressive, man. If Breathe. you get on a TED stage, you're the man. <laughs> and, and tell me about that. Cause I, I watched it. It was all about breathing. And I want to, I want to hit that a minute. I want to talk about that. So give us a synopsis of what happened during that scenario. Yeah. So, you know, our breath is sort of our, it's kind of the gateway to our nervous system, right? The breath. Yeah. It's, it's, it's this thing that if you don't do it consciously, it happens unconsciously. Right? right. It's this one thing that you can either control or not control. Like Dr. P, you don't grow your own hair. It right. grows. Right. Um, but you do go to work and build these studios. Sure. Right. And yeah. so there's things we do and there's things that kind of happen to us. And I think that breath is this thing that all the reactivity you're talking about and all the worry, it has an effect on that autonomic nervous system and what happens automatically. And so if you don't pay attention to your breath, nature will take it over. But if you're feeding nature garbage, you're going to breathe garbage, mm. right? And I guess you could kind of see this as a chicken or the egg scenario. So if you're going to sit next to Mary Stinkbones, you know, you <laughs> could you could try to change that scenario as a means of mitigating the stress that you're under. Right. But there's also a possibility that if you can't change Mary Stinkbones, that maybe if you change how you breathe, and you kind of give your nervous system a little, a little kind of nudge into that more optimistic direction, uh, then maybe you'll be able to tolerate her a little bit more. And so, you know, what I talked about in the TED stage was kind of twofold, but number one is defining uh, something called heart rate variability. And this is, uh, you know, a lot of people think of heart rate, which is the number of times per minute your heart beats, right? Most people are 72, something right. like that. <clears throat> Dr. P is probably 58 or something or, or law, you know, <laughs> no, I'm 58 years old. <laughs> <laughs> the fitter you are generally, I think like someone like Lance Armstrong, you know, his heart probably beats 30 times a minute because right. his heart is very strong. But, but anyways, so there's, let's say your heart beats 60 times a minute. You might, you might assume it's beating on the second, like a pacemaker, right? 60 times a minute. It's not. 
in reality, both of these branches of the nervous system are on at all times. So you've got your parasympathetic, which is rest and digest, which is I'm healthy, I'm safe, I've got a you know a, a partner, I'm I have healthy relationships, I'm eating enough, I'm sleeping enough, I'm having sex enough, all these pieces. And then you've got the fight or flight, which is the cortisol system, which is the sympathetic, which is reactive, which is vigilant, which is protective. Now, both of these nervous systems are on at all times. And I I like to say they're arm wrestling for every heartbeat. Is the next heartbeat going to be one of stress or is it gonna be one of relaxation? Mm. And when the parasympathetic wins, right? It has a certain impact on the amount of time between beats, or I should say either one that wins does. So as the sympathetic takes over, if more of your heartbeats are coming from that stressful place, the, the variability between beats is going to be reduced. So you may be reduced to more of a pacemaker, right? Boom, boom, Boom. But a robust nervous system, that space between beats, it won't be exactly a second. If you're really kind of in a relaxed state, one beat will be 1.02 seconds. The next beat might be 0.98 seconds. There will be almost like nature. It's like an average of all those. Average of all those. If you think about like going to the beach, everything in nature is somewhat random, right? So every beat, you know, every wave crashes and goes away and they're all similar, but it's not happening you see, they call them sets in California, like the surfers, they come in sets and they come, there's differences. And that's like anything in nature and your heart is the exact same way. So that's what I talked about. And uh, I talk about how breath can really control this thing, uh, can really help you kind of improve this variability, this space and time between beats. And um, I talked about it in terms of, in, terms of two things. Number one is, is the power of the nervous system. And I had people start the, uh, the talk by holding their breath, by exhaling their air. Yeah, I did it. Yeah. <laughs> when I watched you. And that's a great test. Yeah. So if you want to know and test your fitness, two seconds in three seconds out your nose and see how long it takes for you to get that impulse. Right. I like to work people up to 45 to 60 seconds. Wow. But most people, it's 10 seconds, it's 15 seconds, it's maybe 20 or 25. Right. They're not very well conditioned to begin with. Right. Um, and that's if you're if you're holding, if you're very sort of aroused, right? And I don't mean that in the good way. Right. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like you're, you're in this state of arousal and that's when we build tension in the upper body and, you know, we breathe with our neck and we breathe with our mouth. And um, and I ended up going into a place of, uh, even speaking about the way that we, we look at mobility training and flexibility and how that a proper breath, you know, it expands our torso. Right. And we, we've all talked about belly breathing and yoga talks about it. Sure. But if you think about a baby and how it breathes, the funny thing is, how long can an infant lay on the ground with its legs in the air? For a while. All day. Yeah. But why do you and I get tired in 30 seconds? We're weak. <laughs> We're weak. But the baby is breathing perfectly and creating perfect joint centration. And, and the diaphragm is actually expanding that torso and creating a really nice shelf. for the. And you could say, well, the baby's head also is half its body weight and all these other pieces, yeah. right? But uh, the fact of the matter is a lot of the tightness that people want to stretch has to do with compensations for decreased stability because of decreased diaphragm function from impaired breathing. Right. And so that's kind of where I took it. But, yeah. but 
Yeah. I thought it was a really interesting uh, talk too. And what I like about the whole idea of breathing is the first thing you do when you enter the world mm. is you take a breath. Right. And if you learn to breathe more effectively over time, that's when now I'm going back to my neurology roots. That's what's more calming for the brain itself. And you get a right. different secretion of neurohormones and chemistry, which calms you all down. Right. I mean, <clears throat> you and I both speak, right. you know, even when you took the stage, yeah. you were confident. I was, and I, I'm talking about the Ted talk in Switzerland. Yeah. You were confident and you were ready to go, yeah. but I could see that you, you had cortisol mm. tracing and epinephrine tracing through your veins yeah. because there were a lot of eyes looking at you and over 450,000 people have watched that Ted talk. Yeah, that was, and to be honest, I was without doubt, full of cortisol. Yeah. So the ironic, I suppose, thing about that talk is it was in Switzerland. And I don't know if you've Nobody ever- Nobody could understand you. <laughs> uh, you know what's so funny is uh, I, was in, I was on the talk the other day and, and you know what's funny is I've never watched a talk. I can't watch it. Okay. It's I know how you feel. It's really crazy. <laughs> it's but there was a comment. I do check, I do look at the comments and if I can, you know, provide some value and add any insight sure. or whatever. Yeah. But somebody had a negative comment about my talk and and someone else said like, cut him some slack. English isn't his first language. <laughs> and I was like, wait, well, like, <laughs> but back to the talk. So the funny thing about Ted, uh, because these talks are for online. So yeah. sure, there's four or five, 600 people there. But they're really, you know, there's a lot of rules. You got to stand on the red dot. You know, don't get too close to the tree. Right. Don't move around too much. The talks are 16 minutes, right? So you've got to get your talk to 16 minutes and, and you've got to submit the, and I don't know if you want to talk about this, but yeah, yeah, no, you got to submit <clears throat> word for word what you're going to say six months out. Okay. And it's got to get approved by New York and it's got to get approved over here and it's going to go over here and then you got to condense it and you got to change this and you got to change that. So there's a lot of stress to, apart from your talk, to not stray from the script, to hit 16 minutes, to stay on the red dot, right? And the, the interesting thing about my talk and, and the fact that it was in Switzerland is I fly to Switzerland, I fly to, no, I fly to Milan, I drive to Switzerland and then we get locked in the auditorium. There's one intermission there was uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 13 or 14 talks. I was last. Ooh, wow. So there's one intermission. I was, it was a pretty tight auditorium. I was forced to be an audience member, and this is no knock on them. This is just the way it works. To all the other talks? There's no backstage. Oh. There's okay. no backstage. Okay. I was stage left in the audience. Right, getting ready to come up when it's your turn. So I had to w watch 14, 15 talks in a row. And then it's like, hey, you're up next. Oh boy. There, so normally when I'm gonna do a talk, and you know this doc, yeah. I'm backstage, I got my, I listen to this music, I listen to this song. Yeah, you're in a green room I, getting I'm ready. I'm in a green room, I'm, I'm meditating. I'm, And instead I'm having to listen to other TED Talks. Right. And so flying to Switzerland, driving, in, driving from Milan all the way up to Lugano, jumping on the stage, being a, being a participant in the audience, jumping on the stage and sticking with 16 minutes. Don't move from the red dot. There was so much outside of the experience. Yeah. Um, and I did, you might notice in the talk, I miss a segue and that's why I can't watch it. Okay. I leapfrog from, from you go to the doctor's office and you talk, talk heart rate and I jump right into heart rate variability and I missed a sentence. 
And that freaked you out a little bit. It freaked me out. Mm. It was the bridge between what people experience and the point I'm trying to make. And I dropped the bridge and I can't watch it. (laughs) But anyways, I was full of cortisol, ironically. And um, it was, but it was an amazing test. Um, It was an amazing opportunity. It was an amazing, let's see what I can do. Yeah. Um, Will you do it again? Yeah, I, you know, I would love to because yeah. maybe I'll be able to watch it. Yeah, um, I'm with you because that, that's one of the things that I would like to do as a speaker is, yeah. is to be on a TED Talk. Um, you know, it's interesting you said that, um, you know, you had, you know, under your own assumption, you had dropped the ball. Mm-hmm. And if I ask you, what do you remember most about your TED Talk? That's the number one yep. thing that you're going to remember. Isn't it amazing how yeah. we can become conditioned that we could change the world, right? but we'll always perseverate on one piece that didn't go our way. Right. As a doctor, I would go and see maybe 30, 40 patients in a day and I have tremendous success all day long helping people to get right. to a new sense of renewed health. And then I'll have that one person that I just can't seem to get to. Mm-hmm. And that takes up my headspace yeah. or used to. I, I've I've conditioned myself past this. It's been right. 30 years, 30 years right. later. So I had to learn over time how to stop doing that and right. over perseverate on the negative piece because mm-hmm. I was a perfectionist and I wanted right. the best for that person. Right. But I realized that I'm just one man. Yeah. And if I kept doing the same silly thing and looking at what I wasn't achieving, then I was really falling apart slowly. And my right. whole behavioral attitude was like, I started not liking being a doctor right. because I couldn't fix people. Right. What, what, what are you talking about? You just fixed 39 people today, but yeah. one I didn't. Yeah. And then it's like Eeyore. Oh, um, I'm like, mm. dude, you got to get out of that mindset. Yeah. Cause if you don't, it's going to wreck things. And <clears throat> excuse me. The one thing that I wanted to, to bring to light is how much effect it has on the heart. Cause you brought up heart variability, mm-hmm. heart rate variability, and how important it is yeah. to look at that heart rate and to calm right. it down through breathing. Right. And, and I'll tell you this, I want to add a couple of things. Like when you look at somebody who gets really nervous right. and their, their portion of their brain, their deep reptilian brain, an area called the amygdala for people out there who have some experience in uh, uh, emotional brain, the amygdala is that region of the brain that gets really jacked up. It's mm. a protection mechanism. It's like the, it's like the, fire extinguisher in a house. It just goes off and it says, oh my God, it's your time to be on a TED talk. I'm freaking, it's that thing. When it turns on, it has massive regulatory control on heart rate variability. Mm. And now the heart beats a little bit out of sequence, if you will. So we find ourselves a little off, which causes our pulmonary and our lung system to get slightly erratic. Mm. And now you're in that stress reaction. Holy crap. Now it feeds back to the brain by reducing, or should I say, augmenting the amount of distributed blood to the brain. And now you're in trouble. The only part of the brain that's working in this moment is the emotional brain that's trying to protect you from utter failure and your thinking brain goes off right so this happens so commonly for speakers whether Mm. they're i don't care how many years they've been doing it if they get up on stage and they haven't regulated heart rate Mm. and pulmonary rhythm which is what you said you probably would have liked to have done before you took that stage right but you didn't have that chance to get into your natural regime your element that makes you what you need to be so if you didn't calm down and you got up there it would be easy to lose blood supply to the front of the brain where your executive centers are, where you think. And now 
I'm having a problem with recall and thinking. Yeah. And then you get worse and it's a firestorm. <laughs> and before you know it, you're like, uh, get me off the stage before I totally poop my pants. Right. Right. And then you have to be able to, whether you're a speaker, whether you're a mom or I don't care who you are, you have to be able to talk yourself off of the ledge. Right. But the first thing you would have to know is I'm on the ledge because I put myself there right. by a set of circumstances. Right. It's okay to do that because that's being human. Right. But to be highly intelligently human is to use the thinking, highly executive functional areas of the brain that tell that emotional brain, calm down. Right. We've been here before. Right. We can handle this. And then it slowly starts to come down. Right. But as you said to your breathing, when somebody's at work and they're struggling and they're having a tough day and now they're getting a headache. These are just responses to that whole stress system. Yeah. And if they can learn to take a few minutes and breathe deep, relax, and try to get their rhythm of their rate of their heart and lung more synchronous, it calms the whole damn brain down. Right. Then they go, oh. And then here's the best part. Once you have one positive moment that brings a reaction from another human in a positive way, right. it's now it's game on. Right. Now look right. out. Right. You know, right. One of my first big talks was to a company named Fidelity. It was a mm. big talk in Boston. There was a lot of people there and it was bigger than I was used to. Right. So I walked up on stage and I said, uh, <clears throat> Hi, my name is Dr. Peter Fercoco. I'm like, I don't even know my damn name, right? I'm Johnny Cash. I'm Johnny <laughs> in the ring of fire. <laughs> it was too funny. Uh, so I get up there. I'm telling a story about a friend of mine who had tragically lost his journey in life. He was a, a surgeon. <clears throat> I begin to tell the story and I get to the very end and I'm nervous yeah. and I'm pacing and I do the ultimate wrong thing. I turn my back to the audience, oh. which is not a good idea to ever do, right? Yeah. I turn it quick and then I turn around fast. And I look at them kind of like, oh, I got something to tell you. Yeah. And I forgot the punchline. And I was like, duh. I just sat there looking at them and them looking at me. And I, and it was almost like he's playing with us. That's what the audience is thinking. He's going to say something profound. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I'm about to lose my lunch. <laughs> I'm in trouble. Yeah. And I remembered my own moment that all I had to do was find that line and calm down and I'd be okay. And then I, I looked and I at the audience and I said, so I, I remember the man, I, I just said the man's name. I go, so Joe, funny that I'm talking to Joe right now. I said, yeah. so Joe, and then it came to me, taught us something very important about how the heart is regulated by what we think and feel on a daily basis. Then I was on fire. Yeah. Then yeah, I started yeah, to yeah, laugh yeah, yeah. and yeah. I was like, yippee ki yeah. The life preserver just came down yes. from I'm like, the I'm, heavens. I'm built for this, yeah. right? This is unbelievable. <laughs> and they're laughing and yeah. they're having fun. And I'm yeah. like, if you can just get through that moment mm -hmm. for, you know, for our listeners at work, I mean, at work, well, maybe they are at work listening to this, but when you, it's, you don't have to be a speaker in some you know, incredibly uh, polarizing figure. If you're just somebody who's sitting at home with your kids and you're getting a little right. wigged out, you gotta learn to calm your yourself down, mm -hmm. you know? So when it comes to heart rate yeah. variability, and you talked about that, when you look at people that have stress in their lives, mm -hmm. that they don't get any help, yeah. what's their outcome? So, well, you know what's interesting is the cool thing about HRV and I deal with it a lot now because I do a lot of coaching just like you do. Yeah. And the cool thing about it is to me, it's quantifying or more or less proving what yoga has known for 5,000 years. Right. Right. Like yoga was telling us to move and breathe for a long time and we didn't really know why. 
Um, or we didn't really, a lot of people didn't believe in meditation or yeah. writing. A lot of these concepts, Joe, they were from a different part of the world that we weren't accustomed to learning as kids. Right, right. And so I think I think what HRV has done is, and another thing called heart math, which is coherence, which you kind of spoke to, yeah. which is like the connection and the, the sort of synchronicity between the brain and the heart. Right. And that's a really cool program that they've created. But um, with HRV, it's, it's helped me quantify or, or provide proof for mindfulness work, breath work, et cetera, because you can see real-time improvement, right? right? So, um, so anyway, uh, so HRV, it improves the more sort of balance you can get your, your nervous system and things like sleep affect it. Um, a lot of the people I work with are really high performers, uh, whether that means a, you know, a, a lawyer at a big Silicon Valley company that's doing huge deals. Uh, I work with professional performers in, in Vegas and Hollywood. I work with pilots a lot. And when we kind of quantify where they're at and I say, as an example, here's mine. Right. And it's dramatically different and they say, whoa, how do I get there? Right. And then as we kind of do some breathing, especially the simplest thing, the big, biggest thing I teach is keep your mouth closed for the most part. You know, the so mouth is the panic button. Nasal breathing. Nasal breathing. I yeah. mean, that's the fast track, right? That's because I think some of the things that you've said is really interesting because when we kind of go down this rabbit hole of stress and we start thinking about the thing and we start, we start creating a storyline and dare I say we get addicted to these storylines, uh, we create changes, all the things you talked about in terms of how the body, this changes, that changes. We, we build, you know, we change our heart rhythm. We change how we breathe. We change how we think. Well, we get addicted to that and we get locked in that pattern. And, and now it's chicken or the egg. Right. Now our body, body only knows how to operate on that system. The thing about slow nose breathing, and so step one is breathe through the nose. And that's kind of the, the fast track to a, aim to get yourself in this direction. And then the next piece is exhale for longer than you inhale. <laughs> and well, I can figure that one out now. So that should be easy. And if you just do those two things, it'll make a difference. Make a big difference. And you can see it real time. <laughs> if you've got a, a heart rate monitor or a Bluetooth, I use a, an app called Sweet Beat. Right. And if you have a Bluetooth heart rate strap, you put it on, you can real time, you can see the change mm. just by nose breathing and exhale for two to three times longer than you inhale. Right. And I'm gonna imagine there's gotta be a ton of different types of tests that would be able to, I mean, just alkalinity and pH, mm -hmm. you could probably see that change very rapidly exactly. too. You know, from the doctor side of things, um, I always find it in fascinating that people can make themselves sick when they're under stress by secreting these stress hormones way too much. And because we're such high thinkers, we have these amazing brains, we're not like those you know, those animals that get chased and Impala is chased by a, right. a apex predator. Maybe it's mm -hmm. a cheetah or something. Yeah. And then they escape. Right. So they've had this stress reaction. Right. And then they're 10 minutes later, they're drinking water in some little pond yeah. you know, across the Serengeti. How come they can do that? Because they don't have the high functioning cortex that we have. And right. we and we overthink everything. Right. I mean, tell me right now, if you're listening, are you not overthinking everything? Right. I mean, we do that we do. as a culture. But interesting, though, that if we make ourselves sick by feeling emotionally upset on a constant basis, right. the emotions were created by us, by stimulants in the environment. Mm -hmm. We gave too much weight to the stimulus, right. not to the way we, had, we addressed it. But if we can make ourselves sick, the question is, can we make ourselves sick? healthy. 
by turning it all around again. Right. So what I think is really cool, which I've really studied quite a bit over the last couple of years, I, I delved into the human genome project mm. and I've read a lot about stem cells and how they function. And yeah. so <clears throat> basically it's like this, that your whole body is like a protein matrix. It's made of protein. So mm -hmm. your blood is all filled with proteins. Your skin is protein. Your bones, your muscles, tendons, ligaments, organs, they're all basically made of proteins. Right. And who makes all those proteins? The DNA does yeah. in the middle of the cell. So a lot of people believe that the DNA inside your cell is like the brain. But that's not true. Right. They know scientists know you can take the DNA out of the cell and it could still live for 60 days <laughs> because the DNA makes proteins and the proteins yeah. are still in the cell and they're still mm. doing their job, keeping the cell alive and healthy. Right. So you don't need a nucleus until what? Until the proteins get tired and break down like an old pair of shoes yeah. and you got to get some new ones. Right. But you don't have a nucleus. So the cell dies. Right. Right. So here's the interesting thing that what makes this nucleus inside of all of our little cells, what makes it make those proteins? Well, somebody has to tell it to do that because the DNA is not a brain. Mm. It's simply a Rolodex with tons of recipes on it. Right. You know, and it's like, yeah. which recipe do I make today? Right. Well, that depends upon, remember that the DNA is in the middle of a cell and around the cell, like the cell's kind of sitting in the ocean. It's like mm. somebody in a life raft in an ocean. Right. So when all the little fish come to the edge of the life raft, they're, they're talking to the people in the raft. Then they start biting on the edge of the raft. And what is the raft then? The outside edge is like the cell membrane. Right. So you got a cell that's sitting there and it's got a fluid dynamic around it yeah. and some stuff gets into the fluid. Mm. What could be in there? How about tequila? <laughs> <laughs> Let's add some alcohol. Yeah. And then what happens to the cell receptors that are inside the membrane? Mm. They hear, oh my God, there's tequila out here. And the tequila says, I want to get a message into the nucleus and I want the nucleus to produce some protein Teens yeah. in reaction to me, the alcohol on the outside. And yeah. what is the reaction? It builds inflammatory proteins, mm. which destroy those cells and irritate them. Yeah. They're like, whoa, well, that sucks. Yeah. Well, that's the stress reaction, right? But right. what if you were holding a little puppy? Right. That somebody you love, I love beagles. My family's always had a beagle puppy. So if you hold a beagle puppy who's six weeks old in your arm, you feel like, oh my God, this is so delicious. Six years before it starts chasing rabbits all over the living room. <laughs> Pooping all over your house, <laughs> <laughs> creating a, you know, yeah. a havoc out of your manicured backyard. Yeah. So what they'll do in time is the, the cell itself can turn itself back around though, mm. if you put a chemical around it, which makes it happy. Right. So let's say like dopamine. I think right. people out there in cyber world here probably have heard that term, dopamine, serotonin, yeah. they're kind of good things. And like, they're just chemicals that are good, make us feel good, right? right. But if those are in your bloodstream, then they're gonna tell the nucleus to produce proteins that are much more metabolically regulatory. What the hell does that mean, doc? It makes your body happy. Right. It makes the cells work better. It increases the ability to excrete toxins, to detoxify your body, to improve blood supply to areas. It's just a wonderful thing. Right. So where do you get the dopamine from, Joe? From brain. the noggin, from the brain. Yeah. But if the brain thinks like poop, then you get poop. And what is the poop? That's <laughs> the stress chemical, which is cortisol yeah. maintaining itself. Right. That's why people make themselves sick. This is called epigenetics. Hmm. I'll give you an example. I'm one of six people in uh, uh, eight kids, uh, six, seven boys. Now I have a certain physiology. So I'm 5'10", 200 pounds. Yep. My brother's 5'10", 300 pounds. Hmm but it's the same genetics. Yeah. So how is my brother that heavy and I'm not? We have the same genes, mm -hmm. that's true. But I talk to mine differently. 
He right. talks to his the way he wants to. Yeah. So it's the same gene. That's called genomics. Yeah. But now we're talking about epigenomics or epigenetics, which means the gene's okay. Right. But I talk to it and tell it to make crap. Right. So think about it. When you have a crappy attitude and mm-hmm. your brain is struggling with things around you, your body becomes imprinted by producing proteins that are in reaction to what your thoughts are. Right. And now your physical body has completely shifted to be a mirror of your thoughts every day. And if you have shitty thoughts, pardon my French, then you have a crappy body and then you get sick. That's where diabetes, that's where cancer, that's where Alzheimer's, that's the root of all these diseases. They're inflammation and they come from what? The way you think. I'm glad this is being recorded because I try to explain this to people a lot that your diet is more than just your food. Your diet, your, your nutrition might be your food. Right. But your diet is anything you're consuming. And if you're producing a lot of things to consume, if you're consuming a lot of thoughts between your ears that are not healthy, it doesn't matter if you're getting a cup of kale at lunch and the salad with chicken on it, right? Or the the damn lean protein with a baked potato and a vegetable at dinner. It's like, okay, like that's all great. But if your diet is still made up of a bunch of these negative thoughts, your body's not going to change. Well, it's a lot like, like I go into the North End in Boston, right? Yeah. You walk in and you smell garlic. Because mm-hmm. that's, you know, Wonderful. that's the Italian restaurant place. I'm going there tomorrow. <clears throat> but when I walk in there and I smell the garlic in the city, mm. I immediately begin to salivate. Right. I'm literally <laughs> salivating. And my stomach is Pavlov turning. Over here. And it's true. That's how it works, right? Like when you have I'm a, Dr. Pavlov. Do you ever sit next to somebody and, or maybe yourself and your stomach is growling? Yeah. And you've just come in on Thanksgiving, you're hungry as heck, mama's making a great turkey, and your stomach's grumbling, and you can just you're already tasting it. It hasn't yeah. happened yet. Yeah. The, our brain is way ahead of us. Mm-hmm. So when we start thinking a certain way, we begin to start secreting chemistry when we haven't even eaten yet. So you're supposed to produce things like um, uh, let's say digestive chemistry, yeah. like enzymes in the stomach mm-hmm. that come from the pancreas. I don't want to get into all their right. names, but so when you digest, you need a bunch of chemicals to work, right? But you're already digesting before the food is even in the mouth, right? Because of what you're thinking about, exactly. So like, give it go out and like order something off a menu. Like you, you go to some restaurant, you you psyched because you love this meal. Then you get there and the lady goes, uh, the service is to you. Well, these are our specials. And you're like, I don't need to look at them. But you do anyway. And then you're like, oh crap, I think I want this. And then you second guess yourself and you get the special. Then you go to eat it and it doesn't taste anything like like what you were going to order. And the whole night is a mess. Right. (laughs) You're like, what has happened? My brain is in conflict. Yeah. And my body is digesting based upon my, what I thought I was going to have. So what I'm actually having isn't having the same response. Right, right. And then you wind up with digestive issues afterwards and you say, I'll never go there again. I'm like, you did it to yourself, you knucklehead. (laughs) (laughs) And they don't even know they did it. I mean, I mean. It's powerful, powerful, powerful to think about the power of the positive mind, the positive thinking. Listen, I have been able to take it and understand it and learn it from the physiological perspective. Right. I could teach Grandma Jones or take Grandma's thing and say, you hang out with turkeys, you can't fly with the eagles. Yeah. True that. But let me tell you how that works inside the human body for real. Yeah. About PET scans and about cerebral blood flow patterns. I go, I'm telling you, as a doctor, the way you think will control everything. Right. Everything. So when you're under stress, you're under a negative environment in your head and you're now creating a pattern of thought 
that is creating a pattern of chemical release, which is affecting your body's ability to produce healthy protein. And when it doesn't, produces negative protein. Right. Your body is an imprint of your brain. And if you don't celebrate your body through breathing and exercise, mm. you're stuck. Right. And you're gonna blame everyone else for your problems, except for the number one person who created it. Right. That was you. Holy crud. And if I could just get that message, obviously, to enough people, the way you think is going to make your body what it is. Right. I studied this guy, and if you've ever heard of him, he's, uh, his name is Van de Kolk. He wrote a book called, mm. um, he's not a mass general, he's awesome. Okay. He's a psychiatrist. Yeah. So he talked about PTSD and who he's mm -hmm. worked with and all these different things over the last 40 years. Yeah. So he named the book aptly called The Body Keeps the Score. Hmm. The body keeps the score of what's going on in the mind. Right. It's like, holy the crap. The body keeps the score. That's great. All it's right. a great, it's a great read. Yeah. <clears throat> but going through it and understanding that stress is something that we all have to deal with, then let's get better at understanding what it is. It's right. just a mindset. And listen, to be stressed is not a negative, but to stay stressed is really the true negative. Right. You know, it was interesting when you were talking about National Geographic or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, the funny thing too is like, if you ever watch those shows, when the, when the, um, whatever, when the wildebeest or the, you know, the, the animal gets away yeah, or birds get in a fight, they shake it off. Yeah. In nature, they, they literally shake it off. Yep. They get 20 feet and then they go, Ooh, what was that about? Right. I'm out of here. Um, and I just think that's so interesting because we do hold so much tension in the body. I remember, uh, there was this woman a long time ago who, um, actually it might've been you, let's see, that pushed me towards emotional freedom technique. I don't yeah. know. Uh, the tapping, you <clears throat> tap yourself on the yeah. head. Temporal taps as they call them. So after you more or less fixed me and I decided like, I'm going to go like to the islands and like sort of, I guess, celebrate. Right. Yeah. Because I was, when I walked in, I was pretty sure like I was pretty screwed. Yeah. Right. And I was worried about that, but I had a lot of dreams and thoughts and, you know, things I wanted to accomplish. And, and again, my, my angst or my negativity was rooted in associating my problem with maybe not achieving those things maybe. Right. Sure. Um, and so once I realized that wasn't the thing, the problems went away. Right. But so after we worked together for a while, I went down to the, the Caribbean and I was doing my tapping and I would do every morning. You gave me the the thirty day personal power tape, and yep. I um, I went down there and I was doing the thing. And the woman I was actually renting a little place from in St. John in the Caribbean, she was like, "Hey, like I know you're into fitness and like doing all this stuff, and you do this weird stuff in the morning and you meditate and you." I've got this like horrible, horrible like neck pain. Like, is there anything you can do? Because I like you know I do all this like other stuff and it doesn't really work. And I'm like, I you know. Dr. P showed me this thing, but like, I don't know if it actually works. I do it because I'm a, you know, I'm secretly a wreck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, so here's what you do. You know, you start tapping and you, you hit yourself in the, in the front of the, the eyebrow and then you go over here and then you go over here. She just, she does like one minute of this and I've been doing it every day and just right. like. She gets it all in a minute. And I'm like doing it every day. I'm kind of like, yeah, it might be a thing. Uh, you know, we'll see. She does one minute just like feeling, and I think you did a mantra first or maybe whatever it was. She erupts. She erupts in my little like screen porch <laughs> in the woods. She just like 
emotion from every every walk of life. Yeah, right. And I'm like, whoa, this is out of my jurisdiction. Like, you know, (laughs) Pandora's box just opened and I I shouldn't have. Yeah, like, I don't know. And I I just like hugged her and like, what do you do? And like, oh my gosh, like I didn't like that never happened to me. And right. um, But let's be with this. And, you know, what are you feeling right now? 30 years before she had a, we'll just say a trauma. Yeah. And she hadn't touched that trauma in 30 30 years. years. Right. And it lived right there. And long story short, she just starts like, can't even spit out a word. Just like the most emotional person I had ever seen. Hysterics. Anyways, we get through it. Sort of. The next day, she's like, you fixed my neck. I fixed your neck. And so I was like, holy smokes, holy smokes. You know, our emotions really do, you know, our body keeps the score. And that is just, you know, it's, it's so true. And I think that there's this like, and I'd be so curious, doc, for you to dive into like vagal nerve stuff, because I think this is where, you know, we kind of, we get stuck, right? It's, um, what the heck's it called? Um, polyvagal theory. Yeah. So when we have, especially, so there's like the fight or flight stuff. There's Mary stinky pants or whatever her name was. And there's this like chronic stress and there's the thoughts about the thing. And there's a, da, 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 da. and then there's like trauma, which is like another whole world of sort of stress because sometimes we have a trauma and we, we bury it just like this woman did. And it's yeah. buried in our body and our body's keeping the score and it's buried so deep that we don't even know that it's a part of us. And dare we let that cat out of the bag? You nailed it, Joe. If that cat comes out of the bag, you're going to, you could be in trouble. It was really interesting. One more story actually. And then I, I want you to go take the ball. I did this meditation thing. Okay. And in LA, that's what you do, right? You do these, (laughs) you do these Vipassana meditation retreats. And, and this one was about trauma. And my trauma was something fell on me and fractured my skull and almost killed me. And I woke up not knowing where I was, who I was, who I was surrounded by. And, you know, yeah. didn't know what was going on. And then I, you know, woke up just enough to see a mask get put over my face. And then I was back out. And, you know, this is like what, what I was dealing with. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, um, and so I go to this thing, it was one day silent thing. And it was, you know, it was about trauma. It was Vipassana, which is essentially meditation, but it's guided. You're quiet, you're silent, you're downcast with your eyes. You're doing your thing. You're on your mat, but there there's like the storytelling and the, you know, the, the leader is the leader. You're listening to somebody. You're listening. Yeah. And it's like, you know, therapeutic stories. I left in full on fight or flight. No kidding. After 10 hours of meditation, right? 10 hours of silent meditation, but thinking about the thing. Yes. And I was like, I don't even know if I'm through it now. Like, so in other words, for almost two decades, like this thing was somewhere. And that was like the start to like letting it out of the bag. Right. And it was so funny because I went 15 years being able to talk about it. 
being able to talk about exactly what happened and who was there and what it made me feel. And you know, that's what happened. And now I'm fine and I'm good and I feel good and I'm alive. And Dr. P made me walk in a straight line. And like, there's all this, there's all this here, but then I go to dig into it just out of recreation (laughs) and I feel like, Oh boy, terrible. And that was sort of my intro to, if you want to do the work, you got to be committed to the work right. because you might be at, you think you're at a hundred percent, but you're only at 80%. You're only at 70%. Maybe you're at 49% and you've calibrated yourself that that's you. And that's, that's your hundred percent. It's going to get worse before it gets better, but you might have a lot more that you had no idea that you had. Right. And that thing is holding you back. But if you let it out of the bag and you don't deal with it and consistently deal with it and learn to deal with it and provide the right network to yourself to help you deal with it, it's going to end up worse. It'll, it'll keep you from taking action. Right. And you don't know that that's what's doing it. Right. A lot of the patients that I've seen over the years, like it, people ask me, so you're a chiropractic neurologist. What does that mean? Mm. You know, I, I kind of dispel the chiropractic piece. I just look at a human and look at right. their neurology. So right. I can look at heart rate variability, pulmonary mm. activity, gut digestion, reflexes, and all those are, have something to do with the brain. The brain controls all that. Right. Now with my training over the number of years and, I understand much more than I ever did about what parts of the brain are creating this response and then go back and take a look at it. So what I've learned and that I I wanna share with people is that when you undergo some sort of a trauma and you bury it, your brain is just trying to bury it to let you move on. Right. But it's like, it's a little bit of a Pandora's box. It's sitting there with the memory in it and what you don't realize is that portion of your brain never stops firing. It's right. constant. When right. you go to bed tonight, your thinking brain's not beating your heart. It's not controlling variability. Right. It's the emotional brain that's doing it. Right. So that emotional brain has something in it that has been associated with a major emotional event. Right. So what I see in my practice is a lot of women who have experienced post-traumatic stress disorder from some sort of sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. They, many of them that I've experienced, yeah. don't even see it that way and have never told anybody right. about the events. Right. I have a young woman that came to see me, she's 30, and she's been dizzy for, you know, seven years. Just hmm. a mess. That might be inconvenient. Right? I'm like, oh, that stinks. She can't drive a car. She can't yeah. do much of anything. So I'm like, all right. So <clears throat> I talked to her for a while and we go through this little communication, a little consult, and I realized that she's already seen five other physicians. Right. And nobody's made an accurate diagnosis or any diagnosis, right? And I'm like, well, maybe they think that she's making it all up, you know, psychosomatic. So I could talk more and talk more. And I said, could you do me a favor? She said, sure. Why don't you stand up? Let me take a look. You know, I always start my examinations by just observing the patient. Yeah. That's a good thing every doctor does, right? I should do. Right. So I look at her and I'm like, okay. So she's standing up and picture this in your mind. She's standing in front of me with a rounded shoulder where she's got her hands cupped together in front of her kind of like the crotch area. And she's kind of lumped over a little bit. And I said, okay, so that's you standing up, right? She goes, yeah. I said, okay. Now, as I said, I can look quickly at that body and go, that's that body is keeping the score for something that's in that brain. And now I have to be able to figure out why she's dizzy. So I go, okay. So I go through all the things as a good neuro guy and I go, none of them fit except Mm -hmm. one thing. She's losing blood supply to the front, the frontal cortex of the brain. Doesn't know where she is in space. How could that happen? So I go, okay. I start thinking about it. I said to her, have you been sexually abused? 
and she just looked at me and like, oh my God. Yeah. And she didn't speak. She didn't move. Deer in headlights. And she was catatonic. Right. Like the moment of the trauma. So the minute I asked, she was transformed in her mind because she'd been triggered by the response of me asking. I triggered Pandora's box, opened it up, and she went right into that moment. She leapt into my arms, put her arms around me, cried like crazy. She was so emotional. And I said, it's okay. I mean, like you said, with this woman with you, I was like, whoa. But I had already been trained and understood this. I've right. seen this so often. I know it maybe caught you by surprise at that moment, but you're more skilled now. I'm like, yo, I'm 22 on vacation. What are you- <laughs> right, come on, lady. <laughs> what is this? <clears throat> so I grabbed this girl and I said, listen, you do not have to talk about it with me, but if you want to, I'm definitely the person who will listen and give you something to, you know, to deal with. So she said, I want to, and I want to do it right now. She's known me 20 minutes. She made a connection. Yeah. And so we talked about it. You're but- like, uh, Cancel my three o'clock. Right, and I was, I, you know, my, my wife runs the business and I just, at the end of it, I said to her, I gave her that look with my eyes, like, don't right. ask, just do what I ask you right now. This is yeah. a volatile situation. So I, I sit with this gal and we're talking about it and I said, I if I open this box up, it's gonna send you back every time the way you feel right now, right. unless we can learn to cope with it. Right. I said, but do you wanna know why you're dizzy? Yeah. She said, I do. I said, okay. So part of your emotional brain is hinged off an org, a part of your brain called the hypothalamus. Mm. And that controls the autonomic nervous system that you talked about, right? right. It controls the action of the sympathetics, mm-hmm. whereas the parasympathetics are driven by the vagal stimulants that you had mm-hmm. talked about as well. <clears throat> so there's your dynamic interplay. Right. But the uh, the hypothalamus is the key in a person with who has trauma, emotional right. trauma. The amygdala, which houses the action, is talking to the hypothalamus mm-hmm. and that causes the constriction of blood vessels to the brain. Mm. So as soon as she realized that all of her dizziness was coming from a reduction of blood supply that was transient, coming and going, that all she had to do is be aware of what was producing it. And immediately within six days, it stopped. Right. And it went, went that way for months until new traumas began to, or new stimulants or keep opening Pandora's box. And we weren't done with the job yet. Right. right. So the Me Too movement mm-hmm. was pretty big. It was out. Yep. And that was when Kavanaugh and all that mm-hmm. stuff was going on yeah. in Congress. So there was yeah. a lot of stuff going on. So she was triggered by that stuff. So I asked her, I said, when you watch like the Me Too thing, does that bother you? She goes, it immediately makes me dizzy. And I was like, oh, you know, from a doctor and trying yeah. to solve cases, I'm like, you're like, this is, yeah. I was like, this is some cool stuff. I'm like, holy moly. And it was like, so beautiful because yeah. the patient teaches the doctor. Right. And when the doctor thinks he's going to teach the patient, he or she needs to wake up for a moment and have some humility to right. realize that the true essence of treating a person or helping somebody, the answer is right there. You just have to learn to discover it. Right. And until you open up your mind to the discovery process, you're going to get stuck like everybody else, either prescribing something or just moving them on to someone else. And right. I was that fifth guy or that sixth guy that's that she saw she's like i can't believe that you were able to ascertain what's going on i'm like listen i see it in the body because the body kept the score and if you saw her posture she was literally protecting herself yeah you know from the waist down and i said i get it yeah and now for every person that walks into my office 93 percent of people that go to a doctor are there because stress drove them there right doesn't matter if they have a an abnormal heartbeat right they got an arrhythmia heart variability issue right it's stress-induced most yep. of the time. 100%. Once in a while, Joe gets whacked in the head by and almost dies, right? Yeah. That, you overcame that. 
But then you live with the psychological trauma for the rest of your life. Right. PTSD. Right. Now, I'm not telling everybody at home how to fix PTSD, mm-hmm. but let's just be aware that it's going on within us and find right. professionals that can help you to be aware of it so that you know that maybe you shouldn't be in a closed quarter with 50 people who haven't showered like the tea in Boston, right? Right. That's not going to serve you as well. Right. You're going to start to be triggered by, you know, lots of difficulty breathing because you can't breathe because I'm in a place where it's confined and, and I'm underground and oh my God. Right. And now you're into full panic, right? which is what people do. They go from anxiety and then they move to panic. Right. So there's a difference because mm. panic is so powerful that it tells the entire body, wake up, let's go. Yeah. And now I'm either vomiting or I'm catatonic yeah. or I'm sick and I'm, I'm just freaked. And it's like, how did we get here? Immune system zero. Zero. And I think a lot of people get into that loop. And if you think, I had a friend that went through a a horrible divorce and not long into this process, which was an extremely traumatic divorce, not long into this process, he's getting dizzy spells Mm. and he needs, you know, oh, now this is one more thing I need to do. Now I need to go figure out why I have vertigo. Right. Um, and then shortly after that, he had a checkup and he said, doc says, I got to wear a Holter monitor because my, I have a little arrhythmia and he doesn't, he's a little concerned about it. Yep. And you know, I don't know what this thing is. And you know, and then a month later my back hurts and now I got to go to a chiropractor and I'm like, let's figure out what happened. So what happens is you're extremely stressed and worried about your kids and the divorce and this, and who's going to get the house and all this bullshit. Right. I don't know if I could say that. Hopefully. You just did it. Didn't matter. How. <laughs> so you're worried about all this stuff. You're super stressed. But what happens is when folks don't identify that the stress is the cause. Now you're a leper. You, now you're the one. We can't figure out why you're dizzy. We can't figure out why your heart is uh, irregular. We can't figure out why your back hurts. Right. No one knows. It's a mystery. You just hate your boss. Right. You know, you just hate Mary Stinkpants. This goes back to the original thing that you said, that you made a mountain out of a molehill that you Mm -hmm. didn't need to make. Exactly. And you created this environment in your head, and you're angry when someone tells you that it's your fault. Right. You're like, what? I mean, once they wake up and go, oh my God, I have been a poop head. Right. I am literally angry at everyone around me. Right. You know, it's like, I was... I've been teaching this to my clients for years. It's like, we have an operating system. Like I'm a Mac user, so I'm an OS X guy. And my sister, for instance, is a a PC user. So she's using Microsoft Windows. Hmm. So she has a different platform or basic operating system. So she doesn't like using the Mac because she doesn't understand the operating system. Mm -hmm. But what if all she had was a Mac? Right. Well, now her operating system is that of Macintosh and she's not very understanding of what her operating system is. Right. So as a consequence, she's being triggered by her world to be in a negative, unhappy, ugly state and doesn't know where it's coming from and begins to blame the rest of the world for it. Right. And doesn't understand that that's your operating system. So here's my operating system. I have values. So I have a positive value structure and a negative value structure. And everyone says things like, you know, I have family values. Mm-hmm. A value is an emotion. So you can't touch it. Yeah. You can touch a family. So there's really not accurately family values. There are just emotions that families bring us. Mm. So I go, okay. So I look at the emotion and say, what emotion do I experience that makes me run off the rails and right. just become an ugly version of myself. And right. I, and I know what it is. It is disrespect. Hmm. I have learned in my life 
through living in this Italian home. I was going to say, that's an Italian thing. It's kind that's of an a- Italian <laughs> cultural thing, right? And it is. So I, yeah. I firmly admit it and I'm proud yeah. of it because it is who I am. So I realized that my number one negative value is disrespect. Right. I can't stand it. Right. What I've learned to do though, is that when I feel disrespected, I feel awful. I get angry. My body changes. I start to sweat. I talk louder. My jaw gets tight and I want to punch the piss out of somebody. I'm like, what the hell just happened? It's like, I lost my damn mind. Well, somebody disrespected me. Yeah. But what I've learned to do about that is that if they disrespect me, I ask myself a question quickly. Did they do it on purpose? Did they know they did it? Or are they trying to drive and turn the knife as deep as they can? Are they pushing your buttons? Right. If they know to move that knife with inside my abdomen and turn it, then I'm going to be in some bad place. Otherwise, I say to myself, they don't know me very well. They didn't really mean to do that. I'm just responding to it because I am now aware. Right. And the awareness is really the key. I'm aware that I am a dickhead when you disrespect me. Mm -hmm. But I have to decide whether what you just did causes disrespect in in, in reality. Does it, are they trying to disrespect me or not? So yes, sometimes I get people that try to disrespect me and then I I lose it. And you know what I do with them? I move them as far away from me as possible because I don't want that stimulus. Goodbye. But here's the flip side and the beautiful side of all is that if I have a negative emotional system of a value that gets pinged and I turn nutty, ugh, but you know, if you add all the other negatives, they don't bother me that much. Right. You know, right, ignorance, right. stupidity, jealousy. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really care about those that much. I just don't want to be dissed. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. just how it goes. Yeah. But on the flip side, my number one thing in life, well, I'm going to call it one and two because they're so connected. It's contribution and love. Mm. So I love to help people right. and to watch them prosper and to literally nothing I can give them except a, a level of perspective where they realize that, you know what? All I have to do is discover more about who I am and who I want to be. Right. And then life will turn around. Right. And then when they do it, I go, that's pretty cool. Right. So I always say this, like I'll show up at work at my office before I get there. I'm not doing major contributions because my job asks me to do that every day. Right. Right. So maybe I have, or maybe I haven't contributed in the lives of my wife and kids and stuff before I get there. And let's just say everybody's left the house early and I wake up and go to work. So I walk into work with some sort of emotional mindset. But once I'm in there, if somebody disses me in my practice, oh, it's going to upset me. But the beauty Mm. is I go to the next room and I meet the Joe DiStefano's of the world and say, hey doc, what's up? I need your help. Help. Yeah. And I go, Let, let's get to it. Yeah. And then when I'm in it helping you, I've automatically downregulated that emotional response in my brain for the, for the negative value. Right. And now I'm on fire. Right. All day long, I maintain my fire because I'm doing what I love. But if I didn't know how to do that, every environment that I walk into, mm-hmm. every new environment, I will look for the person who's potentially going to disrespect me and I'm going to do it to them before they do it to me. Preemptively. <laughs> yep. I'm going to do it to them. Oh my And Lord. then you're like, what? And this is a natural human behavior. Yeah. This is what people do. They're angry. They're upset. They're argumentative. You haven't yeah. met anybody like that? Of course. Yeah. How come? They're mm. protecting their emotional system and right. don't know, have any awareness of how it works. Right. And what is it, what is it actually creating to the, uh, to the thing we talked about at the beginning? It creates stress, right. the release of cortisol. Then it changes proteins in your body, makes you sick. And why are you so sick? Because of the events of your life and how many people are living in the past? Most. Most. They or were. the future. 
or the future. Any place but the now. Any place but right here, <laughs> right? And, and, and the things you're saying, you know, it's so interesting because two of the big things we teach at Runga, number one is protect the first, I like to say two hours, but usually when I say protect the first two hours, people are like, must be nice. Right, yeah. right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have kids, well, you don't have a job. And that's you know, LA whatever. too, so yeah, I get yeah, you. Yeah. But um, what's funny is, so I preach, you know, protect the first two hours of your day. And what I mean by that is when you roll out of bed, and there's the person that disrespects you, right? But maybe you're maybe you're the type that gets worked up. If you're living in LA, you're probably the type that gets worked up about Trump, or like sure. you get worked up about um, where the world is heading, or you know you're a, a lawyer and you're addicted to your email. You roll out of bed, you check your email, you check the news. You've just disrupted your state. Correct. You've disrupted the state and the energy you're going to bring the world. Now you're going to go down to breakfast and your wife's going to be sitting there. She's in a great mood, and you're like. Damn, Trump again! Yeah, right. like what? I, and and so the rule is that. And the other thing is, you're the average of the people you spend the most time with, right? And so you know you need to be you need to be crazy vigilant about who those people are and work really hard. And you know it was so interesting, Doc. I just got some blood work back, and my blood work's usually pretty good. My blood work was spectacular. Mm. Like I'd never seen things like this good. Yeah. And the only difference over the last couple of months, three months since the last time I did it, was Amelia and I made the commitment that like we're gonna be way more social, right? Yeah. We're gonna so we're gonna one night a week we have another couple over. I don't care who it is, right. a friend that's nearby. Invite them over for dinner and let's do this thing. Sure. Um, I also send a workout to all my closest friends in LA. These are the days and the times I am gonna be exercising in my front lawn. Come on over. Come on over. And I send it to five, six, seven, eight guys. And sometimes no one shows. Sometimes three three people show. Yeah. But this idea of of surround yourself with people that elevate you. And by the way, anyone on my little text group, they're an entrepreneurial business owner. Yeah. Other that, people with passions. Other that people are with you know with yours. And I have this conversation a lot, like, you know, with even my brother and close friends. It's like, even if you're at the top of your game. Who are the people around you? Because if you're a computer science person and you're surrounded by Tom, Dick, and Harry, imagine if you were a computer science person surrounded by Gates, uh, Elon, Buffett, and uh, I can't, who's Facebook? Who created Facebook? Mark Uh, Ziegler or whatever. Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg. So imagine like that's your five. Right. Like, are you at the highest game that you could play? Right. And, uh, and so these are the, these are the two things. And when we let people in and, you know, one of the things you said, like evict that person from my life. And I think that, and you started saying this earlier too, with the 39 clients you helped, 39 patients you helped. And then the 40th that really like ground your gears. And, you know, when we dwell on the, the person that drove us nuts and Victor Frank, the Victor Frankel quote, that's like between stimulus and response, there's a pause. Yeah. So when you realize that like, if you internalize the response to that, to patient 40, it's gonna impact your ability to- Take care of the first 39 take care tomorrow. Of the, so inject <laughs> yeah. that person. Like don't push your energy out. And I have this conversation a lot um, at home because there's this idea that we are aware of our impact. And even in a situation as a coach, I can't take on a lot of clients. I don't know how many you take on, but yeah. I put so much into each person that I've got a very, I don't take more than 10 people at any given time. Right. Um, if I am only marginally successful with somebody, 
even if I'm marginally, I mean, I haven't been a total failure to anybody, I don't think. No, yeah, sure. <clears throat> but if I have to work four times as hard to help somebody get 10% better, I could have helped four people <laughs> get 100% better with yeah. that same energy. So it's just not the right fit. Correct. So when it's renewal time, it's my opportunity to say like, you know, hey, Dr. Pete is perfect for you. Right. He's, let's he's, move you to a different let's place. Let's move you to a different place. Yeah. Because you yeah. got to protect your energy and, and be really vigilant about, vigilant about where you put it. Because when we want to have an impact, efficiency is like our number one. It is so true. And I always tell my patients, they're like, are you going to leave us? Right. I'm like, well, eventually, because... I'm going to run out of gas and die. They're like, yeah, but I don't mean that. Like, are you going to leave? I said, well, listen, I really enjoy the time with each one of my patients. I right. love my, I Your love chiropractic patients. patients. Yeah, yeah. I love them. The chiropractic patients. Yeah. I love them so much. They come in, they struggle, they suffer, and I get to administer and give the best I can. Makes right. me, makes me feel great. But I was saying to a, a, a woman yesterday, I go, you know what though? If I stay here one-on-one -on -one with you all the time, mm -hmm. then the thousands and the masses of people that would also be able to, you know, maybe utilize something that I could, you know, teach them, that wouldn't happen. Right. So we're only being selfish being here together with the, with the type of um, experience that I have. I really right. know that I need to go share it with others so that more people get a, a greater impact. Right. And by the way, my health gets tremendously improved when I'm doing what I absolutely love doing. And I like seeing a ton of faces out there smiling and laughing and get to be a showman and a comedian and a doctor and a scientist. I'm like, Sign me up for that. I love how that is. So you're so correct when you talk about time. And by the way, you know, uh, Tim Ferriss wrote a book, mm -hmm. uh, The 4-Hour Workweek, yeah. which I would suggest a lot of people read. Right? Yeah. Cut the flack mm -hmm. from your life. Right. And all of the extra time on social media, too mm -hmm. much time on social media, right. cut it out. Right. Turn the TV off and start building a life that you want cerebrally first. Right. Right. One thing I learned just recently, and I, I learned it from somebody else, although I think I've been doing it my whole life. I don't wait and say, someday this is going to happen. And when it does, I'll be good. You know, Tony Robbins always said the, the road to somewhere leads to a town called nowhere. Mm. The, 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 no, the road to someday yeah. is to a town yeah. called nowhere, right? <clears throat> so out of the studies of neurology, uh, a book, uh, The Influential Mind by mm. Tally Shiro, I love it. It's really awesome. So she said that <clears throat> when you think immediately about what you want in your life, you need to envision it, feel it first in your mind, what mm. it would feel like to wake up as Joe DiStefano or Peter Prococo. What would it be like if you had everything you ever wanted right, right now? Well, I'd wake up feeling amazing. Right. I'd wear the big smile and a little jump in my step because I am. Right. You know, it's like when you say you have the, you're the past you and the future you, but who are you? And I always say, I am. Right. Because I don't know anything else. Anything else I've done, I've actually chosen that. Yeah. That's yeah, not yeah. who I am. I chose that stuff. And yeah. then I let the world define it yeah. of who I am. Yeah. But who I really am mm -hmm. is completely different. Right. It's like, what? I didn't realize that I was like this. So I love feeling so like alive and different about who I am every day and just discovering who I am in that moment. Right. So when I begin to think about who I am and what I want to be, I'm creating an action pattern in the emotional brain that says, I am. 
Right. And then I colorize it and I talk about it. Right. And I move like it. <laughs> then I make proteins which transform my body. Right. And now I am. I hope the video's on. I hope so too. <laughs> <laughs> probably isn't. Yeah. Like, oh, unfortunately, oh probably went off. But, gosh. but nonetheless, it's like, it's so exciting to realize that once you believe, and this goes to the belief factor in life, once you believe something, then you naturally produce epigenetic proteins in your body which move you that way right. and now you're locked in a state right of success joy happiness and it follows you around and right. guess who else wants that other people who seek it right so they come to it naturally right. and they add a piece to you and you add a piece to them then you're building the social community in a network that just seems to explode with positivity and health begins to return it's like right. what the heck is that right. so i say to the young kids that come into my practice and the old people sometimes they're so far off they don't even want to hear it <laughs> but i say to the young kids find out who you want to be and how you want to feel in life yeah and say today i'm going to do it because it's only a feeling anyway right you know i mean you have to make it up don't you right it up in your head so you made it up in your head and now you're walking around and like people would say to me what, what what kind of a title do you call yourself now i said okay that's a fair question i'll call myself an inspirationalist guru guru <laughs> guru <Prococo. laughs> but you know inspiring people is really all i want because with inside of each one of us there's something that moves us otherwise we die right, right. failure to thrive syndrome would kill mm. us so there's something beautiful in each one of us i don't know what it is for everybody right but i'll tell you this if you are able to discover it mm -hmm. through the help of guru or somebody right. else, right? right? Somebody that can help you to discover who you are and what you are and how you want to feel. It, you, now you're there. You've arrived. Right. And then you can grow off of that. Right. And you, my man, are the living epitome of that message. For 10 years ago, when I first met you, to where you are today, and I've followed your progress all the way along because you're one of the best people I know and you get it. And therefore, people want to be around you personally. I do. That's why I'm happy yeah. to have you here today because I, we, we haven't been sitting in a chair like this in what, 10 years? Uh, no, I've come back a couple. Give me a little credit here. But like and, this, and the depth no, of our conversation. I know. We have not had a conversation like this in a long time. And how and easy is our conversation, though? Very easy. I mean, I think we could probably go another couple hours here. Yeah. The No, and I mean, I feel the same way, Doc. And you know I'm so grateful for the time you and I, I feel like you invested in me in a way, mm. right? Very much. And uh, at a time that I needed it and a time that um, I had done a little bit of the around the horn and, you know, the white coats had nothing to say to me and it was in my head and, you know, it, I needed some kind of guardrail. Right. And, you know, you kind of smacked me upside the head and, hmm. um, yeah, I'm grateful for that. I'm humbled so. by that. And you know, what's really amazing is I can still see us in my office talking about some things and the old whiteboard, the whiteboard and all the conversations. Mm. But even at that moment, we had always talked to you about some of my dreams and mm -hmm. helping you to make sure that you are going to find yours and make sure it was happening, which was already happening at the time, obviously. And I had a dream of, I dream of the, these particular moments when I now look at somebody that I had an opportunity to be a part of their, their movement and watch them move the world. <laughs> then you go, I'm actually part of that, right? Yeah. That's really cool stuff right off the bat. Right. It's like, I may not have the reach that you have or vice versa, mm -hmm. but we're on the same team. 
Right. We're on the same team. Same team. And it feels phenomenal. And I always feel like I'm going to live as much with the passion as I can. I don't need length of life. I need quality of life. But I believe that if you have tremendous quality of life, then you get more time as a rule. Right. Right. But if you're not liking your life and you're not finding out who you are, you're going to get tighter and stiffer and more angry and just less flexible, either cerebrally, physically, and it just falls apart. Right. Facts. No, I I think that that's so true. And, you know, like I just said, it's like you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And that's, you know, you can look at that as your annual average or your weekend. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And so coming down here and spending a couple hours with you, I'm doing, I'm taking the hour drive to go get some of that. Right. You know, I need some of that, that mojo from Dr. P that I used to get three days a week and now I get one day a year or less. So no, it's like, and it's so important to, to go out of your way and do that. And I think, I think one other thing that was so interesting and we, we talked about it a little bit before we turned on the, the microphones, but this idea that, you know, when you do have your dreams and you do have your path and you do have your objectives and you know that you're going to, you know, you internalize where you're going to be. Yeah. Right. So there's the, there's the projection of ourself to that place. It's still about the energy we have in the now. Right. So I think one of the really interesting things about my life is, uh, it's funny when I left my job, which was a big thing, right? Yeah. Eight years, <clears throat> 24.1 hours a day. And then I left doing what you had to do, doing what I had to do. And the question that I got was either, where are you going? Who poached you? Right. Right. Or what are you thinking and what are you doing? Right. Right. And what's so funny, I, I don't feel I have the, um, I don't think I've earned the right to compare myself to John Lennon in any way, but the song watching the wheels go around right. was like my mantra. Cause it was like, I just can't watch the wheels go around anymore. Right. And I'm meandering with purpose. Yeah. Like I know where I want to end up. Right. I don't know how I'm going to get there. Maybe I'll make a career of speaking. Maybe I'll coach. Maybe Runga will be super successful. Maybe I'll do, a little bit of everything. I'm meandering with purpose. I want to. I want to give my own energy and passion a chance. Right. And see what becomes of it. And people would That's look exciting. at me like people would look at me like this guy's. He's crazy. I think he's on mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like this. Yeah. Like you're gonna give up. Yeah. Money. All, all the stability. Fame. Yeah. I guess you could argue in our little world. Sure. Yeah. Uh, travel. Like. On, yeah. YouTube, you're going to give all this up. Um, but the funny thing is, and I told you about the incident in January, right after I left my job, you know, it's like you give up all the paychecks and, you know, you go out and you, you, you take a loss, you right. take a hit. <laughs> so the first step out of the box, you get, you get whacked in the side of the head, get again. whacked in the side of the head again. Right. <laughs> it's like you catch the pass only to get absolutely clocked and fumble. Right. Yep. You know, and that's what happened to me. And so, I think what was interesting was when you're on the path, you meander with purpose, which I ripped off of a guy named Oliver Berkman, who's not another great Ted talk. Um, when you're on the path, you don't necessarily know enough about the path to judge anything that happens along the way. Right. If Dr. P builds this thing, this beautiful studio we're in and tomorrow a tornado just destroys it. There's a reason the tornado destroyed it. 
Absolutely. And it's because you're going to build one that's even better and it's going to be a mile and a half away. You know, it's Bingo, whatever. I'm with you. Yeah. And I think that from a stress standpoint where we started, we get so locked in the negatives. And I told you this little rebound story. We don't get into it now. Yeah. But I, I, I stepped out of the box and I got hit by a bus. But it turns out that bus was my future. Right. That bus paved the way because it hit me. It came in like an anvil. It came in like an anvil. It knocked me to the ground. But I got back up and the bus cleared a hole through the wall in front of me. Right, right, right. And so. Oh, I got a good vision of that. It's it was I just got a chill. Which me too. Really <laughs> and I if I could have been caught up and I think a lot of people, if they took the hit, I hit. Yeah would have got caught up in the hit and been like, Oh, I'm going to jump to a different lily pad. Like I'm out of here. Right. Like I now go back, I'm going back to safety. Polish that resume. <laughs> right. Like, get back on monster. Week six. I'm, <laughs> I'm not doing too hot. Yeah. Um, and people are like, so how's meandering with purpose going? It's going oh, great. <laughs> like, but I'm telling you that bus blew me over. I got up, it blew a hole through the wall and paved the way for the next eight months. And it took eight months for me to see the hole. That's right. the big lesson here. Right. Eight months after that bus hit me, I got back up, scraped my, you know, dusted myself off. Eight months later, I see the hole the bus made. Right. And it's beautiful on the other side of that damn wall. Yeah. I think that the perspective has to kind of stew with time mm. in order for you to really see what happens. And, you know, when you look at people like, Athletes and people who have achieved great things. I always right. like to, I'm stealing somebody, a, a sentence. I don't know where I picked this one up, but it's where ordinary people do extraordinary things. Right. I mean, everybody starts out pretty much ordinary. Right. You come through in a birth and you start. And right. then the way you think and the way you react and the people that can, you know, that, that are feeding into your world, they begin to activate your passion. So right. yeah, my passion's for something different than yours or somebody else's. I get it. Right. But there's something amazing about every one of us. Well, what's funny is, you know, at the beginning of the semester, everyone has an A. Right. <laughs> it's all going backwards from there. <laughs> we don't start at a C. Right. You know, you know so. it's, it's been said that children are the most intelligent people on the planet. Mm. Now they can't put a man on the moon, but they can teach us so much about how to be in a moment. Right. You know, being in a sandbox, you know, making castles. It's like, why would I want to do that? Do you know how much happier I'd be if I still believed in the Easter bunny and shit? Uh, right. <laughs> I, 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 I'm thinking like hearing the bell from that, yeah, uh, like, that Polar Express movie. I can yeah. still hear it. Santa's real. Yeah. Believe it. Last January, if I could have knocked a tooth out and put it under my pillow and got six bucks, like I would have done. Yeah, I would have, <laughs> I'd have no teeth right now. Because <laughs> you had taken the financial hit, man. How many of these can I get? I know. Like, hey, well, you that tooth fairy's still in business because uh, oh my I need God. some help over here. Yeah, that's it's just oh. it's amazing to think that you know we are in full control of what we do, and the more we understand, the more we learn, the better we become. And mm. I'm never going to figure it all out, right? And I've realized that. Right. But I know this, that if I live in a moment, as we talk about a moment, we have people who live in anxiety about the future. Right. Because they don't know, like, you know, if the bus has killed me or if it's opened up a, a lane, right? right? You don't know. Yeah. So you're going to live into the future. Right. And, you know, that's a tough place to be, to try to live towards. Right. So I always say this to my patients and even to clients, right? I'm like, listen, take the moment that you're in, because this is what life is. Whether we like it or not, Joe, you can't tell me about yesterday. You can't tell me about tomorrow. Right. Joe's life right now and Peter's life this is it. It's the same thing right now. This is life right now. And I can't, I'm not thinking behind and I'm thinking right. before, I'm thinking about right now. But after this moment is over, 
there's going to be another moment. Right. So if I put this moment in my head, in my emotional system as something that was happened that was very good right. and I found everything good about it, right. then it'll only birth the next moment. Right. So when I show up at the next moment with a perspective of the prior moment, I go, wow, that's right. pretty cool. And I keep doing this. Now, what happens in a year from now that this moment today is symbolic in my life that when I... When I see such amazing achievements, I will look back to this moment, much like I look back to the moment 10 years ago when we met, mm. and here we are. Right. These moments work for each other. Right. I don't have to worry about my future. I have to pay attention to my now. Right. Because the more I nurture this moment, the more it'll nurture all the moments going forward and make me so much more connected. Right. And then I go, what a life this is. Right. But I say it to myself every day how happy I am and how much my life has meaning because I hear my own voice inside of myself. Right. And when I talk to others, sometimes I'll say things that come leave my lips, but they hit my ear before they hit theirs because my ear's closer to my mouth. Right. And when I tell you something or I try to help you with something, I realize in that moment that, oh my God, I'm not even taking my own advice. Right. And then I become my own teacher. Right. And when you get to that point in life, right. you go, it's pretty cool. Right. This is really, really cool. And, mm. I, and, I'm, and I'm liking teaching other people like this and then having a time with you and oh my God, you know, right. we sit around and shoot the shit forever. Right. You know, and the last time I saw you was in where? The Four Seasons Hotel? Oh yeah. Remember yeah. that day? The watering hole. That's it. Yeah. We had, and, and Joe and I, I was in Boston with a friend and Joe sent me a text. Are you in, you saw me on social yeah, media. Yeah, yeah, you Are you in Boston? I go, I'm at the Four Seasons. I go, I'm across the street. Because <laughs> <laughs> I lived across the street. across the, the street. Yeah, he came over. It was just, it was just too much fun. But. No, that was great. And I think that that's the birth of responsibility, right? You know, it's, uh, and it's how much, you know, of our past is pre preventing us from taking that step forward when what you just said, the now is the now, like the past is the past. It's, right. it's, you know, and you said it to me earlier today when I was complaining about something, right. but, um, but the funny thing is, is that we, we let the past or the future prevent us from taking that step. Right. right. So I think of my niece, uh, we I was just, I stayed at my brother's last night and my niece is five. I always mess up their ages and get in trouble for it, but call her five. Right. Sure. Um, she had a lemonade stand. So, okay. So we let the past dictate our futures, et cetera. We also let fear of the future dictate our present. So in other words, I'm at a job interview. I forget it's two way street or I'm, I'm forget, I forget to say what I'm worth or, or I undervalue myself or because I'm worried about what they're going to think, what they're going to think. Sure. Right. Kids don't have that. Right. And you'd be able to tell me about the brain waves and the difference between a five-year-old and a 35-year-old, but sure. we don't have to go there. My niece has a lemonade stand. Right. She takes the time. My brother was all proud at her uh, as he should have been. Sure. She made a sign. She did the whole thing. <laughs> She's she, an entrepreneur. She asked him to get lemons <laughs> and like, you know, made this. It wasn't no powdered lemonade. It was right. this was lemons. This was the thing. She made a nice, beautiful sign. She marketed it. She colored it. She did the whole thing. She dragged the table up. Quarter, 50 cents, whatever, whatever she, whatever she whatever deemed she appropriate. Yep. The car comes over. Grabs a cup of lemonade, this guy. Drops $20 <laughs> in her little coffee cup. That's cute. Goes away. Yeah. And he, and the guy said to my brother, like, it's just so great to see wholesome things still happening when the world seems to be going to hell in a handbasket. Right. And I'm so grateful for you and your daughter. And like, he had a whole thing. Well, the, she doesn't hear this. And 
She's at the lemonade stand. The next customer comes up and the customer puts a quarter in. Right. <laughs> and she goes, you know, some people are paying $20 for that. <laughs> a lot of people have been putting in $20. Right. And it's just so funny because she doesn't fear the moment. Right. She doesn't fear. And I said this in the TED talk. Yeah. I spoke about the same niece. <laughs> Actually, it was a different niece in the TED talk. Now that niece is 10 and this one's five. Uh, the puddle thing in the TED talk is... If you're walking with a five-year-old kid and it's, you know, it rained last night and it's sunny now and there's a puddle on the ground, they're jumping in the puddle. Oh, absolutely. They're not, you know, they're not worried about getting wet. They're not worried about the next minute. They're not worried about the implications of that. Right. They're living in the moment and they say the enjoyment of the second that I jump in that puddle is going to be worth Whatever it takes. Any overflow yeah. <laughs> or any any repercussion, including my parents being right. angry that I got my new jacket dirty or whatever. Uh, and so kids live in this very sort of present moment where their preoccupation with the future hasn't quite caught up or they haven't developed that yet. And that's and, why- And it goes to the brainwave. It hasn't gotten there yet, so they don't right. care. Right. They're going to say, Uncle Joe, your breath stinks. Yeah. And you're like, I can't believe you just said that to me. Right. And as adults, we say, you don't say that to people. Yeah. And then they look at you and they go. And they learn to lie. They go, why not? They learn to lie. Yes, you yeah. nailed it. I didn't want to go there, but you're right. right. They learn to lie. Here's the rule. When grandma gives you the ugly sweater for Christmas, you like it. <laughs> right. And so I want you to, and that's where body language comes in, right? right. Is like, you know, the kid's <laughs> body language is saying, I hate this thing, but they're like, ah. Yeah, I like it. We teach to lie, but then we take that lie to the job interview. We take that lie to the stage. We take that lie wherever. Yep, yep. And then it causes stress. It causes because you're not being authentic to who you truly need to be. Right. That's why that's the hardest thing that people struggle with in transition to building a life that's worth living. Right. Is to be blatantly honest, but carefully. I mean, right. if your breath smelt like crap, I'd say, would you like a mint? <laughs> You know, and they're like, why does my breath stink? Yeah. Uh, no, I just have extra mints. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my head's going up and down like I'm nodding. It's like, yeah. I'm like, oh my God, can we be, you know, can, can we learn from kids? Yes. That's why I, like when I'm with children, the little kids come into my practice, babies. Yeah. With the parents, right? And they go, and I, and I just love them. I'm like, give, give me that little get over here you little monkey right <laughs> I hope you don't say it that creepy yeah I do somebody. <laughs> and you know what the kids respond to me yeah there's some yeah, energy yeah. that comes out right. of who I am I'm such a child and my wife will tell you this married right. 24 years he's such a child and I'm yeah, yeah, in a yeah, good yeah. way either <laughs> yeah 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 but that energy that comes to me is real yeah. it's childlike and I love children and yeah. they, a lot of the parents will say to me they go she doesn't go to anyone. I right. can't believe she goes to you. I'm like, right. Cause I'm a child <laughs> and children know when things aren't right. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. And go, even going back to stress, if you're living in a home and you have kids and you're two parents, but you never argue mm. in your home cause you think you're protecting your kids. Yeah, right. Exactly. Okay. I understand oh, yeah. that. But they pick up everything they know. We knew when our parents right. went well. Right? right. And it made like an elephant in the room. Oh, right. too often, right. which then changes the way our brain functions. And we start to build walls. We become liars. We become right. anxious. And it's like, where did that come from? Right. I think we need Ritalin. Right. We ain't got to put them on drugs. Right. How There's about a, fix it? Right. There, there was a magician that like kind of said, and I don't know where I read it or saw it. He'd way rather do a show for adults than kids because right. the kids are going to see him put it in his back pocket. <laughs> Right. You know, the kids yeah. are going to see the sleight of hand because they're paying attention. But adults are so well trained to pay attention to what you're supposed to pay attention to. Right. You know, they're going to look straight in. Oh, let's, let's look at his head and 
wonder yeah. where the thing in his hand came from. Right. Well, they'll overthink everything as well, of course. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and they'll yeah. delete what's in front of them. Isn't see it? what they want to see. And you know, that's a whole nother thing. And so I guess if we, if we tie this up, if we tie this up with, um, some, a, a mindfulness thing, I think I ripped off of Tara Brock and we, everything we're saying, I mean, it's sure it's been said before and people love to say this on the Ted talk yeah. on the comments, like he stole that from yoga. Like, there's everything not, is a thing. Like it's from the beginning of time. Yeah, it's We're like everything has been said. Right. But Tara Brock says, you know, it's the one you feed. Yeah. So, um, you know, and there's a lot more to the story. But like, which of these, which of these wolves or which of these animals grow? The one you feed. Right. So, do you feed the positive or do you feed the negative? Do you feed yep. the one that's going to eat you or do you feed the one that's going to hunt for you? Right. Right. Yeah. And do you feed? You know, do you feed? the one you feed. And so when you're in the reactivity and when you're in the, the trance, as she would call it, what wolf are you feeding? Right. Yeah. That's a lot like Earl Nightingale talking about right. planting seeds in the mind. Right. He said, if you plant nightshade, which is a, a plant that's poisonous to us, mm. then your fields, you, your life will be poisoned right. by what you planted. Right. And then you feed it, you know, all kinds of stuff. You water it. You water it with Susie garbage. Pants. It's yeah. going to grow like crazy. Right. You know, and, it, and some of this to people who may or may not be listening, it's, you know, it's like a cliche thing. Right. But cliches are when you don't give a damn. You just heard it quick. Right. But if you pay attention to it, you go, there's something to that. Right. What's in your head every day? And who planted it? Right. The idea, I, I did a presentation for, uh, uh, it was a school. And um, I was saying to the kids, your emotional brain will control your thinking brain. Right. So you'll have a great thinking idea. Like I'm going to create a podcast. Right. 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 So right. you sit with somebody and you have a great conversation about how you're going to do it. And this is what it's going to be. And blah, 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 blah. So you define the heck out of it. And it mm. sounds great. Right. Right. And then about an hour from now, you're starting to think that's a bad idea and you're not going to do it. Here's the reasons. Right. Because your emotional brain then says, don't do it. Stay right. safe. Right. Stay in this little comfort zone. Don't move away. Why well, start a it. podcast when you can get a job for $53,000 a year? Right. It's confusing <laughs> yeah, you to yeah, what the yeah. truth is. So right. I said to the kids, I put some, I go, how am I going to teach, you know, high school kids this? Mm -hmm. So I made a big box and I put an A on the box to delineate that it was, it, it had its own uh, identification. Right. Then I made another box, which is a little smaller. Right. I called it B and that was a frontal lobe. The mm. A box was the emotional brain. Right. So I said, you've got, and this was uh, something that um, Mel Robbins uses quite okay. a bit. She talks about the five second rule, right? Right. Your emotional well, I'm brain. I'm familiar with the five second rule. You know, yeah, right? You drop Pick it, it up off the floor, five you got five seconds to eat it. Full <laughs> bacteria kills you from it, right? So, you know, it was like you have this capacity to move forward and to do something with your thinking brain, but your emotional brain will say, no way. I'm going to hold you back and make sure that you don't do it. And this right. is where most people are. Right. So I brought garbage in because I'm definitely one of those visual strange dudes. Yeah. I brought in all kinds of garbage from my kitchen from, the, <laughs> from that day. So I said, imagine if you have a friend that comes over and decides to dump his garbage in your bin. So I threw in some eggshells. How about this? This is some old oatmeal from this morning. And I'm throwing it in and the kids are laughing like crazy. Like, yeah. Yeah, this guy's a nut job, right? And I'm yeah. like, yeah. But what I was trying to get to them was, you're allowing people to put their garbage into your emotional brain, right. which is then arresting your capacity to take action with your thinking brain with all these wonderful ideas that are starting to surface, but your emotional brain will not allow it. Right. Then you're stuck in a rut. And then you start complaining. And then you start using phrases like, someday 
Right. There will be no day, trust me, until you commit 100% now emotionally that I'm going to get it. Right. So like and Mel Robbins had said, and I loved her, 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 her talk about this, was that you got five seconds. You say you're going to do it, then move now. Right. Move right now. Go right. on the internet right now right. and keep this mojo going and start looking at how to order microphones. Right. How to use software. How to kindle old relationships with people right. that could support it. Now right. that it gains momentum, over time your emotional brain starts to say, okay, I'm starting to become all right with this. Right. And now you've built a habit. Right. And that habit spills over to multiple choices in your life. And now what, uh, who was it? Uh, Earl, not Earl Nightingale. It was, um, uh, what's the name of the book? Uh, Napoleon Hill, uh, Think, Thinking, and, Gro Thinking Think Grow and Grow Rich, Rich yeah. right? That's when like, uh, they talk about transmuting. Like Carnegie would say, transmute some of the greatest things that you do in your life and the way you've conducted yourself, like in business. I'm a yeah. great businessman, but I'm a terrible dad. <laughs> well, how about if you take all the right. skills of business right. and you turn that into what you do as a dad right. and you use your strengths to to bolster the things you're not as good at. Right. Now you have a life worth living. Right. I'm like, oh. Maybe I should take that advice. So I did. Yeah. Here I am sitting and do it. By the way, for those who are listening, this is my first podcast with a guest. And it couldn't have been any more perfect <laughs> because the guy I did it with was there at the beginning watching me transform as well. Right. And the same for you. And you've been doing much more of this than I have. You know, it's just that we're in different walks of life. And all of a sudden we just came together. Yeah. And then you'll go on about your day today and I'll just think about you and we'll text each other and we'll laugh. We'll do more podcasts over the internet and life just continues to improve. That's it. Or we can stress out. No, thanks. No, thanks. You know, what's funny is, um, gosh, there was, there was, I think the other big piece and I, when you were talking about the podcast and, um, people get caught up in that worst case scenario, right? Maybe it's undefined. It's, you know, so the five second rule, I love that by the way. And I, I think that like we talked about Victor Frankel, like between, between stimulus and response, there's a pause. Yeah. It's like, imagine if like someone disrespects you and you have a five second rule. Right. And it's Peter Pekoker, you're an asshole. Five. What was his intent? What is his backstory? Do I value his, you know, his place in my life? And I'm making these up now, but yeah, but, but they're correct. Imagine if there was a five second rule and it's like, I don't value his contribution to my life. He was projecting because he's mad at his dad. He, you know, whatever yeah. the storyline is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you say, well, thank you, you know, and move on. And then I don't know, whatever. Right. Yeah. So there's this like five second rule. And I think reactivity is where we get that's dangerous. But at least for me, earlier we were talking about speaking and when you forgot the line and you got, and I remember my first dabble into public speaking was when I took the job at the franchise. So we met, I was starting my business, my personal training business, my ultimate athlete right. training center. Well, I did that for a couple of years and then ended up selling that business and taking a job as a franchise developer uh, for a fitness franchise. Yeah. And each month I had to speak in front of the franchise, which was a hundred gym owners, right? I was super nervous. I was super nervous about speaking in front of this group. And I remember after, you know, my first one I did all right, but my second one I was really nervous and who knows, maybe I had bad coffee that morning or something. I was super nervous and I was quote backstage, not really. I said, there's a hundred gym owners here that desperately need advice, that desperately need what I have to share. 
if I am nervous, I am robbing them of what they traveled here for. Right. And that's what like knocked me into, I have no right to be nervous because I am not here. Negatively nervous. Negatively nervous. Yeah. Right. If I need have a little cortisol. Pa- you need a little bit of excitement to be delivering the best. Right. In yeah. terms of like, <clears throat> like I'm Johnny Cat. Like in terms of like fight, flight, freeze type stuff. Yeah. Which yeah, is yeah, I was yeah, feeling yeah. really nervous that day. And I, ever since I've had no problem with public speaking. Right. Right. Because I said the customers, the clients, the audience is here to proceed. Per, they're here for a value. Right. And if my own, between my own ears, my own ego, my own this gets in the way of that. I'm doing them a disservice and that then they have the right to be upset. Correct. So anyways, that helped me. And maybe that's not that therapeutic, but it was therapeutic for me at the time. The thing about the podcast where you have the entrepreneurial seizure and it's like, I got to do this. Right. What helps me is the worst case scenario. And this is, this might've been four hour work week. Yeah. Um, For me, I told you the story about, I met somebody and I knew I had to hire him. And I didn't even have money myself. Right. But I got to somehow pay this person a salary now because I know she is the She's future. the key to your future. She is the key to my future. And sure, I don't have 80 grand to give her, but I'm going to figure it out. Right. And it was funny because what I did was contemplate the worst case scenario. What is the worst case scenario? The worst case scenario is that I pay her for three months and go bankrupt. The worst case scenario is that my business completely fails. So the worst case scenario is bankruptcy. I'm 35 years old. I, you know, I'm, by the time I go bankrupt, I'm 35. I got at least 50 years to fix it. <laughs> right. And the upside, and here's the thing, we, we limit what we do because we fear the worst case scenario. But we never even attempt to equate the value of what it could be. Right. Right. It, it's, it, it's what if syndrome, right? It's what if syndrome. What if it goes awful? What if it goes great? Right. And it's the same thing with leaving a job. A lot of people ask me about leaving a job now that I left a good job. Right. And it's like, you can measure what it costs to leave. You can't measure what you'll gain by leaving. Right. And that's the conundrum. Mm-hmm. You're trading whatever, how many, ever many dollars you make with a question mark. And until you really are right with that, and you accept that you don't know enough about the path to judge anything you find along the way. It's powerful. It's powerful. You know, you can't take it with you anyway, but right. let's face it, we all need money. Right. Uh, I don't need five million a year. Right. But I need money. Right. And I like money because it buys me time with people I love. Right. That's the way I look at it. Right. So now I don't have a problem saying it's going to cost you a thousand dollars to sit down and and chat with me about how to get your life back on the right track. Right. Because, you know, there's not enough of people in the world who are willing to take their entire life and expose it to help somebody else get to where they want to go. Right. And I, like I say to all of my clients, no matter who they are, I can't do it for you. Right. But I can show you pathways and dead ends that I've lived through. And you might want to consider what I said in your own path and development. Right. Fortunately for me, um, you know, having a background in brain and neurology, I, I, I understand on some greater level than the average person how right. that brain works. Explain it to them from that perspective. And they go, oh. And, and that's really a gift of yours, right? Is, is taking what is, what is hard to digest and making it simple. Yeah. And that's what you did for me. Yeah. 
on the whiteboard, right? Because yeah. you're like, this is what's going on. This is the basal ganglia. Yes. Oh this my is, God, you're right on. <laughs> this is where you're screwed up. Yeah, you're right. That says this to its friend, doxytocin, whatever, right? Like <laughs> yeah. whatever the thing was. And I remember being like, oh shit, well, we could probably fix that. Yes. You know? Huh. And, and we figured out a way to do that. Yeah. You know, not out of thin air because it was intention. As yeah. we talked about intention, we had to be intentive. We have to know what we're after, what we're trying to do. And then you adjust along the way, right? Because like one day you could come in and I do something and it has a, a great response for you. Mm-hmm. And then the next day it's opposite of that. Right. But then again, you've spent a whole 24 hours somewhere else. And there's other integers that affect that. Could be blood sugar, could be lack of sleep, dehydration, mm-hmm. could be an emotional issue with somebody that you love right now. Right. And all these things are all in there. So we can't try to you know, compare one person's response to another or even the same person's response from one day to the next. Because the only thing that's real is what you said before. It's the moment that you're in. Right. Sometimes doctors will say, you know, in the neurology world, <clears throat> I don't know why you said she had a VA ratio of the eye of three to one. That's not even close to true. I've got an, I've got the high end system that shows it's one to one. So your doctor was lying to you. No, no, no you weren't there on that day. Yeah. On that day, it could have been three to one, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, but today yeah. it isn't, you know? Right, right. It's like, oh my God. Right. You know, so as, as I, I look at, you know, where I've come in my life and where you have, I, I learned one thing that I don't know anything. Right. And because the more I am focused on these relationships that I have and how it affects my body and how I can communicate it in the middle of a conversation, I go, oh my God, there's 9 million other pieces to this that I don't get. Right. And what does it make me? Humble. Right. And it what are the back. four no's, the four you know, you know, you know, you don't know. Oh, yeah. You don't know, you know, and you don't know, you don't know. <laughs> you know, I was uh, uh, one of my patients uh, was a parent and she said to me that her she struggles with her daughter because she knows everything. Right. I go, she doesn't know everything. She goes, what do you mean? I go, she knows everything. I can, I can definitely tell you she knows everything. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, I want you to think of this. Does she have a bedroom in your house? Yes. Okay, so she goes into her bedroom. Does she know every inch of that bedroom? She's probably got stuff hidden that she doesn't even want you to see, right? Yeah. She knows everything about that room. She has a closet, more than likely, because that's what makes a bedroom a closet, right? So she's got a closet and a bedroom. So she has her egress and her windows, and that's what she knows. That's her world. So she knows everything. But you, the adult, when you go into your closet, you open it up to put something on, you look beyond the clothes and you see that there's a door in your closet. And you open that door. And what do you do? You walk into a very small room with five more doors. Hmm. Then you get a little inquisitive. So you open one of those doors. And then there's 100,000 doors waiting for you. Then you decide to get enough courage to open one of them. Now there's more doors than the eyes can see. Hmm. And what you finally come to and to realize in your life, you don't know anything. Right. There's more doors than you can imagine. So while you're completely frustrated in your own stuff and your kid thinks they know everything, they're just developing the point where at some point they're going to look in the back of their closet and go, there's another door here. Then they're going to open it and they're going to go, oh my God. And that's when the parent says, you know, by the time they're 25, they tend to come back around and become your friend again because they learn to open a door. Right. And they realize that they don't know. The more I study brain and neurology, the more I realize I don't know anything. Right. But what I do know, other people go, that's amazing. Right. That's why I maintain my humility. And I'm like, not really. Because let me tell you, I'm scratching the surface of something that I see. Right. They're like, I know, but it's really cool. And we're clueless. Right. I go, 
okay, I have to accept that, that you think it's amazing, but I still do it. I still study it. And by the end of the day, I realize, oh my God, I need to maintain humility because mm-hmm. tomorrow something's going to come right in front of me and I'm going to be clueless about how to deal with it. And then I'm going to have to learn again. I have to learn through painful situations how to become an amazing person beyond that. Mm-hmm. There's a great book out there. And I hope everybody takes a peek at it. It's called uh, No Mud, No Lotus. It was written by mm-hmm. Thich Nhat Hanh. Okay. And it's about how to suffer as a human. Now, we don't want to suffer as humans. Everybody's trying to stop each other from suffering, right? Or, well, at least the good people in this world. No mud. No mud, no lotus. L-O-T-U-S. And the premise is this, that no mud, no lotus is that the lotus flower is one of the most beautiful and aromatic flowers in the Orient. It floats on top of the water and has a long Mm -hmm. stalk that is now within the mud. Right. So the mud is... Pretty gross. Right. Matter of fact, as the as the season dries up and the water begins to dis- recede, it becomes very pungent, the smell. Instead yeah. of the flower, you smell the mud that it came from. Mm. So the reality is that in our lives, we have pain and suffering, which mm. is represented by the mud. But from pain and suffering grows a beautiful flower that enjoys right. the warmth of the sun, only to have a cycle of time. Right. And then it actually dies and recedes to the mud, which is an ugly, painful place to be, but then reactivates right. another lotus flower. Right. And this is our life. We have right. to go up and go down. And because I have a right hand, why is it a right hand? Because I also have a left. So the only reason I have a right is because there is a left. Right. The only reason that I can have joy and happiness in my life is because I have suffered and felt what it's like to be human and to realize that there is pain and suffering as part of the human element. Right. But it is not there to, to knock you out. It's there to make sure that you're aware of it so that the more beautiful moments are actually completely in reaction to the negative moments. Mm-hmm. So if you have a slightly negative moment, then you have a slightly negative happiness afterwards. Right. But the deeper the depth of you, Joe Stefano, realizing I left a job, I ain't got a pot to piss in, and now I've got to figure it out, that's deep mud, brother. Right. And then from the deep mud, what grew? Right. The the development of a team around you and people who love and care about you and you are like, oh my God, right. now you're in the sunshine. Right. Only, and you know, Joe, as we sit here, what is the next retreat to the mud that each one of us will experience? 100%. We don't know, right? Right. But we're all, what we do know this one thing, that we've built a community of people around us, including both of us, that will always be there to help bolster the perspective to pick us up when we need it and realize that it's okay. And the young kids don't know this. Right. So they get beat up by life. They're negative and they're angry and they just feel so defeated. And I'm shaking. I'm going, no, no, no. That's the good stuff. That's That's the the stuff that gets you where you want to go. Just hang in there long enough. And then it happens and they go, oh my God. Right. Why didn't somebody teach me this before? Right. Which is the validation to the work that I am been blessed and honored to do. And I know you feel the same way. Amazing stuff. 100%. Yes, that sir. anti-fragility. Yes. Right. right. And, um, you know, it was interesting because you had said earlier about like, you know, living your dreams and like all these things. And I think that, you know, I think a lot of people don't appreciate the mud. And I think maybe it's because I live in Hollywood. I don't know. But um, when you, you know, a lot of people that achieve success only achieve success to realize they're still not happy. Wow. And then because there wasn't appreciation, right? Right. And the more dangerous thing maybe is if you don't experience the mud, you make the mud yourself. Back to your first point, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. And so 
And again, it's like when you're on the path, you don't know enough about it to really judge it. So the mud, that anti-fragility, that experience is what shapes you. Yeah. And ultimately, if you did live every day perfectly, you know, after a little while, you'd you'd look for some resistance. Yeah. You'd you'd crave some spontaneity or some something to come in and mix it up. Like the mailman, hey, like you can know, you, can you imagine Hollywood making a movie that was just pure happiness from the beginning to the end? What good is that? You what need hero's to feel the journey pain. is that? Right. No, exactly. You need Balboa to get beat up right. to feel the pain of his existence only to rise above it all. That's what makes the human element so powerful. Right. Right. Amazing stuff. I love it. And I love having you here with me today. We got a lot of stuff we covered. I don't we? even know how long this podcast is. I don't has either, been. but we'll laugh about yeah, it later. Yeah. <laughs> of course, I'll chop it up into segments and I'll give people an opportunity to, you know, to, to pick up on some of the things that we've talked about here. Yeah. Today. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, so, what do you say? You want to lock this up now and uh, move on? Yeah. What, what else can we talk about? I think we should call it soon. Yeah. I'm ready anyway. I mean, we've okay. covered a lot and I'm going to have a lot of stuff that I yeah. will, I'll chop up. Well, this is episode way. one. Yeah. Episode one. And there'll be many, many more to come. Yeah. And I just want to say that uh, I'm very honored to be your friend and uh, I'm very fortunate to have you today. Hey, right back at you, Doc. I, I couldn't be more excited. It's so weird, right? Because when I pulled in, I felt like I'd been here before and I've been to your office. Yeah. Multiple times. A hundred times. But I pulled in and it felt like I'd been here before. Yeah. And I just think that's so weird and it's cool. Kindred and yeah. like really, you know, talking about, you know, whatever energetic things are between us. And, you know, we both like when we think of each other, it's, we go back to a decade ago and we both believed in each other. And it was like this, yeah. this beautiful thing. And now here we are today and, and we're both sharing our message and, and it's only going to get better. It's right. only going to be bigger, better and we're going to reach more people so that people suffer less and enjoy more. Right. And maybe pass it on to future generations so that, I mean, I'm the ultimate optimist. I just, I want people to prosper and be happy. That's it. Yeah. Buddy. Hey. Been great chatting today. Next time I'm going to be in LA. Hey, come on out. <laughs> you know it, brother. All righty, kid. <laughs> Ciao.